Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Aid Radio. The 26th of January, 2013. Oh, generally. Generally January. It'd be the cruelest month. So if you have, uh, you know, people blow their wallets into the stratosphere over the course of uh, Christmas and then find themselves canceling free domain radio subscriptions. Shockingly, I guess I shouldn't be a materialist. <laughs> Can't complain. But if you do have any extra shekels rolling around, the old savings gourd, if you could go to fdrurl.com forward slash donate and to help out with a subscription or a donation, it would be much appreciated. Um, Mike has some very expensive habits that I was not legally aware of prior. So, because he's not here today, he's actually heading out to uh, take in a cultural event, event that involves a fair amount of body oil and skin on skin action. He'll explain it, I'm sure, next week. So, kind of funny this morning. So, this morning I uh, came down to get my coffee and gruel. I am diet of a non-Epicurean philosopher, and um, my daughter is playing a game called Shiny the Firefly, and uh, in it you have to lead your babies to safety. So she says, good morning, Daddy. I uh, I killed one of my babies. Because, <laughs> you know, if you, whatever, and the spiders get them or something like that. So, ah, that's, uh, and I, I, I wasn't sure if she was going to be upset or not, and then she says, but it's okay, I have three or four more. And uh, that's led to a rousing discussion of medieval birth rates, and exactly why we spend so much time and attention on her, because she's an only child. And then she asked me about the show I did last night. I did a show on Justin Bieber, and I was sort of trying to explain jealousy to her. And she's got a friend who's uh, doing pretty well on letters, and uh, Isabella has this competitive streak that makes Donald Trump look like either Beavis or Butthead. I can't tell, because I can never really tell them apart. And so I was sort of trying to explain jealousy to her and said, you know, like if your friend was doing really well in letters and could even get the letters that you couldn't get, how would you feel? She said, I feel upset. Is that jealousy? I said, yeah, kind of, you know, like someone's doing better than you and you, you, wanna, you know, and I said, so what would you do? And she said, well, daddy, obviously I would have to go and eat this girl's uh, letters from her brain and so that I would have them. Ah, so we've started with infanticide and cannibalism, brain-eating. Um, so I'm waiting for her to come down the hallway uh, like a tiny little zombie, going something like this. <laughs> so um, it was a fun morning. So I hope you're doing well. We've got a bunch of callers for the show this morning. I'm sorry that um, we're, we're mulling over adding another call-in show. I really like them. Uh, they can be a little tiring after the fourth hour, <laughs> but... I really do uh, like chatting with uh, with you guys in these shows. So we're thinking of adding another show because we're right now we're booked into March for people to call into this show, which I consider great. And did you know we did like almost 800 gigabytes of downloads of the podcasts in one day? In one day. And there's been hundreds of thousands of downloads of that little comic book I wrote the Handbook of Human Ownership. And uh, I'm also considering writing another one called The Handbook of Child Ownership, which will be bad parenting advice. Um, so, and, and the parenting book is coming along, which is great. The um, documentary will be coming along. We have got the right 
animators, but um, I need to go through the script and uh, redo everything, figure out what's possible and what's not, because we've got some new capacities from the animators. The technology has changed, of course, since I started doing the documentary. Always the challenge, so I'm sorry about that's taking so long, but uh, it, it, we're working on it. So, anyway, let's move on. James standing in for Mike today. Good morning, James. How are you? Morning, stuff. I'm doing very well this morning. Thank you. All right. Um, so, we shall hopefully do well and good this morning. So, who do we have? Numero uno, Don Firsties. Numero uno, Don Firsties is El Lucas. Sorry, just Lucas, not El Lucas. <laughs> Lucas. Hello, El Lucas. Lucas. Hi. Hi, good morning. What's on Hello. your mind? Morning. Um, uh, finally, <laughs> got to talk to you. Um, yeah, I'm in Australia, so it's a bit hard for me to keep up the time. So, <laughs> okay. Um, I had three subjects. I actually had one original one, but then I saw a video that you put up. Uh, you put up a few day, a few weeks ago, and oh, by the way, can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and I felt compelled to say something about it because I felt like I was being uh, indirectly quoted there. Was um, I don't sorry I don't remember the name of the video, but it was about uh, you said something about the comments on the Paul Walker case. Yeah, if you could uh, just just um, get to the so question. is that okay if I start with that? The, yeah, you don't need to give me all the background. Just get straight to the question, please. <laughs> sure. Um, you said something like, oh, because, um, because I said uh, 16 years old was the legal age or something, now I was uh, status or something. And, well, the thing, that I said, I sort of said that in the comments, and the thing, the, the reason why I said it is kind of why, um, it's kind of said later in your response. The reason I said it is because I was expecting okay, sorry, that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, and what you said uh, is... Sorry, sorry to interrupt sure, you. Sure. This, is a general, this is a general comment to everyone who calls in. Please, please, just get to your question. The shows are long enough without I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, all sure. of this background. If you, you don't have to give me the background. You don't have to give me uh, your life story unless I ask for it. And I'm not criticizing you. I'm just sort of pointing out in general... If, if you could please, please just get to the question, I would hugely appreciate it, as would everybody else who would like to get on as well. Sure, yeah. Okay, um, in that video, you said that um, for a 16-year-old girl to make that kind of judgment would be ridiculous, impossible. Do you remember that? Yes. And then after that, you said that your, uh, sorry, your own daughter would never make such a call, like it would never do such thing because you have been preparing for that all her life. And when, mm -hmm. if she had to face that sort of um, thing, she wouldn't do it. Um, so the thing is, for this situation, you put her in a situation that um, it's an impossible standard. Do you agree with that? What is an impossible standard? Well, if you can't, I have your quote here. If you cannot, um, if you cannot make that kind of judgment, when you are 16, how could your daughter? That's the... If, sorry, if I cannot make that kind of judgment, how can my daughter? So, not you. If a 16-year-old girl cannot make the kind of, this, uh, of, the kind of judgment, how could your daughter? That's what I'm asking. 
but that's not my question. It's just because I felt compelled to say wait, that. Are you kidding me? I, we still don't actually have Wait, wait. Reason. I've been talking to you for five minutes. You no, no, sorry. This is one question. Yet? This question is real. You do have my question. Sorry. The, the thing is, this is not the reason for okay, my call. It's I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. I've asked you three times now. You need to clearly oh. and succinctly ask me a question that I can answer, and then stop talking. Okay. Um, you said a 16-year-old girl cannot make that kind of judgment. And then you said your daughter would never make the kind of uh, decision to go with some... Yes, you've told me this three times already. Okay, because sorry, have, sorry. Have we're going to have to been... move on. I think I, I think I get the pattern. Sorry, James. I apologize right, for this, but don't, you're repeating no, no, now for don't, the third don't, time don't, 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 exactly don't, the same don't, statement. Don't, don't. I have a question. You just have to answer it. You're not asking me a question I yet. Don't you think just ask me a question. You're giving me statements and you're giving me statements no, no, no. and background just, now I for the just, third time. Just, ask me the question. You, I just asked you. Don't you think that's an impossible standard? I don't know what you're asking. What is an impossible uh, standard? Oh, if a six, if you said sorry, if you said a six-year-old cannot make that judgment. If the, thing, if, this time, if the time comes when your daughter has to make that kind of judgment, it will be impossible. Do you agree? What will be impossible? For her to make that kind of judgment, to go with someone like Paul Walker, for example. You mean if someone like Paul Walker wants to date my daughter when she's 16? Exactly, yeah. But she won't want to date him. She'll be, obviously, she'd be interested in him. I'm sure he'd be attractive, but she won't want to date him. Oh, but why not? Because she won't speak the language of dysfunction. Like if some really attractive guy who only speaks Japanese comes up and asks my daughter out, and she doesn't speak Japanese, is she going to end up going out with him? No, but you said yourself that we cannot expect a 16-year-old to make that kind of judgment. Well, I mean, I'm talking about the average 16-year-old, right? I mean, the number of Children who are raised, like my daughter is raised, uh, probably one in a million. Your daughter would not do that. Your, your daughter would be able to make that kind of judgment. Is that right? Well, I think in consultation, yeah. I mean, she, she may be attracted to the guy. I mean, she'll be a human being. She'll have hormones. She, you know, he'll be an attractive guy. But she will have been exposed by that point to 16 years of a wise and mature father who is dating, or sorry, who's married to a mother who is uh, almost the same age, and she will find the guy creepy. I mean, she'll obviously be attracted to him for sure, but she'll find him uh, creepy. And uh, I, I won't need to tell her that. That simply is it's a matter of exposure. All right, uh, I get it. Every time I interact with my daughter, I'm teaching her a language of interaction, which is functional and, and mature and helpful and benevolent and wise at least I hope and then if some 32 year old creep comes along and wants to date her when she's 16 uh, he'll give her like the willies all right okay um I just saw another question on this subject what if what if she decides to go with him is that would that be okay with you I'm not sure what you mean by okay with me I mean, I mean, would you feel okay with her decision? Would you feel all right? Okay, oh, no. No, not at all. I, I would not want a 32-year-old guy dating my 16-year-old six, daughter <laughs> because either, either he is as immature as a 16-year-old or she's as mature as a 32-year-old. All right. Well, okay. Now, if, if, if he is interested in someone who is so much younger, the question is why? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for there to be any kind of equality in a relationship with such widely divergent life experiences, such no. widely divergent economic opportunities, uh, and, and such widely divergent wealth as someone like Paul Walker. There could be no capacity for equality in a relationship like that. So my question would be, you know, like the question I had for bullies when I was younger which got me punched in the stomach once, I'm so <laughs> glad I said it, was, why don't you pick on someone your own size? And I was like, well, why don't you date someone your own age? I don't right. know, attractive 30... Like, does Paul Walker have no access to attractive women uh, approximately his own age? Of course he does. I mean, he's Paul Walker. Well, so yeah. why is he constantly sniffing around high schools? Well, because he's a creep. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so, okay, that was all I had to say about this. I just felt compelled to say something because, yeah, I was in the, in the middle of those comments. Okay, um, but my real, my original reason to call would be this. I have um, this kind of theory, and I would like to get your opinion on it. Is that okay? It's, it's quick. It's not going to take you forever. You just, then just, again, I have to ask you again. Don't uh -huh. give me background. Don't tell me your No, theory. no, no background, just, nothing. Just, just ask me the question. All right. Do you think the state could work as a stepping stone for a free society? That uh, for a free society would grow out of the state instead of f battle the state till it dies, if that makes any sense. Do you mean out of political action? Well, in a way, yes. I was just looking into Sweden and how prisons have been closing down there. Are you aware of that? I'm not, no. Well, they, they've been closing for the past, I don't know, 10 years, prisons there. And one of the reasons, I think, I mean, there are probably many reasons, but one of the reasons is one thing you keep um, bringing up is that they've made it illegal there to hit children. Is that right? Yes. So I would say this is sort of one of the consequences of that. And I think this, this new uh, generation there, I've, I've, read, I've read an article on it, and it says they are... Um, a little bit more like resistant to uh, to powers, you know what I mean? Like resistant to authority. Right. So what I mean is, um, I think, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think the population is growing out of this state. Does it make any sense? So is your question, would it be valuable to advocate for something like a ban on spanking? Well, not, I mean, yes, but only because I think that the non-aggression principle is not something natural, it's something that you learn. You don't, you're not born with it, you're, you learn it. And to learn that, you would have to go through some, some sort of culture, right? The culture would have to teach you that. And I think in the, in the world we live now, I don't think this kind of culture would just come out, out of nowhere. It would have to probably come from state or maybe some agreement <laughs> between the society. Why, sorry, why do you think that the non-aggression principle is uh, unnatural? Well, because um, as most species, we had to fight our way through nature to exist, to survive. So I think violence is somehow in our nature. Well, no, 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 come on. I mean, we adapt to our environment, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like saying, look, some kid was raised Jewish and therefore Judaism is in our nature. So when we are in a violent environment, we tend to react, and, and scientists can see this happening with epigenetics, right? With aggressive aggression genes being turned on through exposure to violence. And sure. so we adapt to our environment. If our environment is peaceful, 
then we are peaceful. If our environment is aggressive, then we are aggressive. We are mirrors of our environment. And I think this is fairly well established in science. No, that makes sense. And my, yeah. my, daughter, my daughter is not even remotely a violent person. I've never seen her be, uh, be violent. And so the idea that it's... And, and I don't sit there and, and lecture her every morning about, you know, don't hit, don't push, don't any of those kinds of things, right? And if someone is aggressive towards her, like at a playground or something like that, she just comes to me and we deal with it. So it's not, she doesn't retaliate, she doesn't hit back, or not that she's ever been hit, but you know, if some kid sure. jumps yeah. on her by accident or something like that, she'll come to me and we'll talk about it. We might talk about it with the kid or his parents or whatever, but uh, I don't see that it's not natural. Um, well, and, uh, mm. go ahead. Well, okay, okay. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just like one of our many mechanisms of defense or adaptation. But anyway, if that's the case, violence is still pretty much around all over the place. So uh, to get out of that situation, I think uh, we would need some, some sort of evolution, I don't know, some sort of development in culture that would repel that, right? And where would well, that I, come I think, from? I think we have the answer on how to improve things, right? I mean, I, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel as far as that goes. So how do we improve? Let's say that the government runs the post office. How do we improve the post office? How do we make it more responsive to the customers? Is this a question for me? Is there, I should yeah. answer. <laughs> well, if it's, it's, if it's run by the government, is there a way to get it out of the government? Yeah, you privatize it, right? Yeah. In other words, you make the relationship voluntary and not compulsory, right? Sure. Now, you, then, you don't need to go and pass laws saying be efficient. You don't need to go and pass <laughs> yeah. laws saying be responsive to your customers. All you do is you replace the coercion with voluntarism. You replace that which is um, not voluntary with that which is voluntary. And improvements happen of their own accord, right? So when they wanted to, to improve the economy in, in China or in India... They simply, they didn't pass laws saying you have to be more profitable, you have to be more efficient. They didn't create the bureaucracy of economic growth. They simply replaced coercive relationships with voluntary relationships. When women wanted to improve marriage, they wanted to improve women's experience of marriage, they did not pass laws uh, because there already were laws against uh, spousal abuse um, so they didn't go and try and get more laws to, to make marriage better. All they did was they went for no-fault divorce, which is uh, a woman can leave a marriage uh, with full legal rights for no specified reasons. Before, it had to be basically abuse or infidelity were the two major causes, and you kind of had to prove them. And if you couldn't prove them, then, you know, sorry, you, you made a vow. Like if you enter into a 99-year lease and you want to break that lease, you have to prove wrongdoing on the part of the other person. You can't just say, well, I did sign up for a 99-year lease or I did sign up for a four-year lease of my car. Let's say you lease a car for four years and then you say, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, you, you have to prove there's something wrong with the car or they lied to you about something. You have to prove wrongdoing in the formulation or the execution of the contract if you want to just unilaterally break the contract. And okay. so what women did was they said, okay, well, we just want to be able to unilaterally break our marriage vows. Now, I mean, this is true for men as well, but there's women who were focusing on getting no-fault divorce. And so women understand, and, and I think we all understand, that you don't need to pass a lot of laws regulating every detail of marriage life if you want to improve 
marriage, you simply make it voluntary. Now, I'm not saying I agree with the no-fault divorce. It's just one example. And after women gained a greater right of divorce, I mean, up until the early 1970s in Canada, you could only get divorced through an act of parliament because vows were actually taken quite seriously, which I think um, is an impo- it's an important thing. It's not something that should be state-enforced. Okay. But uh, so, so when it comes to improving parenting, we simply replace automatic or involuntary relationships with voluntary and chosen relationships, which is why I keep saying to people as adults, they're complaining about having abusive parents, you don't have to see your parents. Because well, you simply replace the coercive or the automatic relationship true for with adults, voluntary but relationships. For children, it's not the but you same. can't do anything. I mean, look, let's say you pass a law against banking. Let's say you pass a law against banking. First of all, it is really tough to enforce. Yeah, sure. I mean, really tough to enforce. Um, secondly, even if you could enforce it, all that would happen is parents would switch to verbal abuse. Possibly, yeah. Well, no, certainly. No, look, be, I mean, no, if, if, you, if you're you don't aggressive have to, towards sorry. your children, <laughs> if you're aggressive towards your children, if you're violent and aggressive towards your children, then you will simply find ways of hurting them that don't leave marks and then just call them liars. And, you know, you can't, I mean, what are you going to do? Drag kids through courtroom processes for that? <laughs> or you, uh, you just don't give them any toys. Or you've, you've just, you verbally aggress against them. Uh, and, and you can't, you know, can you pass laws saying, well, parents can't say these and these and these words to their children? I mean, no. Like, no, but, but, but you do help children. This is what I'm point. This is what I'm trying to explain. And by trying to explain, I don't mean I'm right. I'm not trying to explain to you that I'm right. I'm just trying to tell you what my perspective is. Okay. You, you do help children. Look, let's say that the post office is told, all the post office employ, employees are told that in five years they're going to be privatized. The whole thing is going to be completely privatized. What do you think they're going to do, the average employee? They're going to freak out. <laughs> Right, but what are they going to do? Uh, they try to work better, I think. Some of them, at least. They will improve. Yeah. Knowing that there is voluntarism down the road, they will work to improve. They'll some, stop taking some of our lunches. <laughs> the majority s- of them will get fired, because I've been through that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of them will get fired, for sure. But, but it's the best chance for them to improve. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so, the parents, if, if the idea of the voluntary family, if the, the, the voluntary family as it percolates through society, and I'm a very small component of that idea. There are many, many people uh, talking about it. Dr. Phil talks about it in the largest, uh, most popular daytime talk show in the world is the Dr. Phil show. And he's continually saying to people, if your parents are abusive, don't spend time with them as adults. I don't say that. I just say you don't have to. But So he's, I mean, a way bigger advocate of the voluntary family than I am. And so okay. what this does is for parents who have children, they realize that, let's say the kid is, is 12. Well, in six years, the family is going to be privatized, right? So mm. they're going to improve their parenting. It is the best way to improve parenting is to continually talk about the voluntary family and to practice it. So this is the best way, in my view. Again, okay. I mean, other people can go and try and get spanked, so but I believe in consistency of principles. Go ahead. Okay, so 
what I was saying is, okay, it doesn't have to be a law. It can be just a campaign or it can be an um, educational thing that goes around schools. It could be many things. It, it doesn't have to be like a law saying, oh, you have to be a good parent. Because, of course, that would not work at all. <laughs> um, okay, good. But, I think we're in agreement. Okay. Um, but the thing is, the same way you don't have to... But you, what you said now is uh, you private, privatize the family. You know that in some like businesses, many businesses fail, right? I mean, it would give the family to, the chance to fail, I guess, and that's not a necessarily bad thing. But um, what I'm saying is, I don't think that sort of um, culture would come from nothing. I think, I don't know. I think the state would somehow have to be a stepping stone there, and the population would have to grow out of it. Like they, it would repel the state after a point it would seem unnecessary, obsolete, and then they would be in a free society or something similar to a free society. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I, we'll have, we've got a lot of callers today, and I'm, because you're making just statements, ask you, I can't really... I can't sorry, really okay. Can sorry, I just you've, had, you've had three questions. You've had three questions. Please, I don't know. Uh, Okay, but you have to be quick, and you have to just don't yes. make statements like, well, I it's think not a statement. We need this, it's actually, we need that. It's not a statement. It's something that I need to ask about... Um, my wife, I'm having some problem with her. And oh, sorry. I'm afraid we're going to have to reschedule that. I can't go with three questions and then problems with my wife because that's going to take. No, it's not time. a problem. It just ask an advice, a quick advice, if you could give okay, me quick one. Advice. Let's go. Well, straight to the uh, question. Okay, she's having some problems with anxiety, and we cannot go to a psychiatrist now or any specialist because we are in Australia. But she doesn't speak English very well. Uh, would you have me any advice for that? Why, why, sorry, why can't you go see a... a um, is there nobody psychologist around who might be able to speak your wife's language? I don't think so. <laughs> well, have you looked? No, but um, it's... Well, okay, I can look, but... Okay, all right. Yeah, I would say look, look for a therapist, and there are some therapists who will offer Skype sessions, so you, you're not limited geographically, so I'm sure that you can find a therapist who will be able to speak your wife's native language, but I think that would be the most important thing. You have a world of therapists, really, to choose from uh, because a lot of them do offer remote sessions where you get eye contact and all that through video cameras, uh, through webcams and that over my, over the uh, Skype. So uh, I okay. would definitely look into somebody who can speak your wife's uh, language for sure. If one day I have time, I'll call again to talk about that. <laughs> all righty. Well, I certainly wish you the best, and thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, next up we have Drew. Hello. Hello, Drew. How are you? Oh, fine. Thought I'd just go straight to the um, point. I thought we could have a debate on evolution. Um, I believe right. that we are genetically engineered by extraterrestrials and that um, evolution from common ancestor didn't happen, and I thought I'd bring up points to support that. Um, one is... Um, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd like to ask me what I think of that before you plan. Okay, <laughs> sure. Like, I heard you before. You said you believed in evolution, right? So. All right. Uh, so can you tell me what the evidence is for these space aliens? Okay, well, one, I wanna, one argument against it is that it's extremely unlikely. Do you believe that, or can I skip that? Well... 
something which is unlikely but which has happened is not irrational, right? So it's unlikely that any individual person is going to win the lottery, but people win the lottery. Well, yeah, but still, like, for example, if the pyramids could be explained by aliens, but if it's more, if it can also be explained by ancient people working really hard with lots of slaves, if it's unlikely aliens exist, then the more logical explanation would be that um, no aliens, it, because of odds, right? Mm, I don't know about that. Um, let me just ask you a question, though, if you don't mind, before we get into that. Okay. Could you tell me about your relationship with your parents when you were a child? Um, kind of, they were involved, but um, I'm not emotionally connected to them. Right. Uh, can you tell me a little more about that? I appreciate you. I mean, I know it's a bit of a left field question, but I would just like to get some context for how you uh, learn to interact with people. Uh, I'm not criticizing. Uh, or yeah, I'm um, kind of curious. learned to interact with people kind of mechanically. Um, I tried to get a little better about that, like recognizing emotions. Um, I moved into college now, so I've been away from my lived away from my parents for a couple of years, so that kind of helped. Right, and the reason I'm asking that is, I, I do. Have you listened to this show much before? Uh, yeah, for like four months now. Okay, kind great. Well, I appreciate that. I hope that you're finding some value in it. Uh, do you know that it's obviously a pretty nutty topic, which doesn't mean wrong or bad to talk about, but it's a very unusual topic to bring up, talking about space aliens driving evolution. Um, no, that instead, not evolution, they just recreate newer models of species, so it kind of looks like we evolved. Kind of like right, but you understand that that's quite an unusual... Sorry, that's quite an unusual... Yeah, that, that is. And to, so you know that it is an unusual topic to talk about, right? Yes. And so I'm just sort of trying to help you at least understand how it might be easier to talk about things with people. Okay. Which is, you bring it up like it's not unusual. Okay. I, I, and that's hard. I think that's hard for people to sort of understand. Right, so if I start talking about anarchy with people, uh -huh. I have to sort of address their existing perceptions of anarchy, uh, or, or you know, I have to say, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird topic, it's an unusual topic, or you're going to have some reactions to the topic of anarchy that... I understand, or I'm bringing up something that is going to be a challenge and so on, right? I don't just say, well, we should, we should abolish the state and, and everything would be great, right? That would be uh, startling to people, right? Yeah, but if you get exposed to a lot of anarchy arguments and you listen to it regularly, you start to normalize it, so... It... Well, yes, but this is, but this is what okay. I'm telling you, is that if you want to talk to other people... So I have to talk like I'm topic. crazy? No, you have to... Um, you don't have to do anything. I'm just trying to give okay. you some advice on how yeah, to communicate. You have to understand. Person. Hang on. I'm okay. trying, to talk, <laughs> trying to talk here. You have to bring things up like, okay, Steph, you accept evolution. I know that there's some, some strong arguments for evolution, some strong evidence, but I'm going to bring up a topic that is going to be quite startling and unusual for you. And so, you know, but, 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 but I promise you, I've, I've looked into it. I've got good sources. I've got good research. So... Okay, I th but just saying, I want to I want to argue that space aliens guided our development, and it only looks like evolution, and then just start without getting my response, is not a very effective way to communicate. I'm just I'm just telling you. I mean, okay, because, right? 
because you need to sort of uh, um, ask me, you know, introduce the topic to me with a knowledge that it is an unusual topic, right? Okay. And so this is why I'm asking you when you were a kid, you said that you weren't uh, particularly emotionally close to your parents. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell me a little more about that? How, how did that show up? I don't well kind of did stuff with me like when I was really little I really loved to play like board games and card games so we do that together but I don't know if, if I was too emotional with them or kind of felt distant especially getting older um like just like I couldn't really bond with them and do you know how you were dis- do you remember how you were disciplined as a child um Mostly really little timeouts and then older, like, taking video games away. All right, so no spanking or anything like that? Uh, Well, like, one memory long time ago of being spanked, but I think that was it. I asked them if I was spanked when I was really little, and they said no, so. But you remember one time? Uh, Barely, yes. But, like, he apologized after saying he overreacted. So when they said that you weren't spanked, either they don't remember something that you think they would remember, or they were lying. Well, I t- talked to them like maybe they just didn't think it was that big of a deal that one no, time. No, no, that's a binary question. Was I spanked when I was a child? Yes, one time is the answer. Well, I was asking both my parents. My mom said, no, I wasn't spanked, but I remembered it was by my dad, and he didn't answer, so that he might have dodged it not wanting to answer. Right. And do you remember your parents asking you about your your feelings? I can't really think of time when that, no. Do you ever remember as a child being upset and your parents noticing and doing something about it without you telling them? Maybe when I was really little, I think so. Like, if I'm, like, crying, they would do something. When no. I was really I, little. I, I, sorry, and I, I, no, I, I agree with that, but what I'm saying is that when it's not obvious, in other words, you're not crying, you're just sad, did they ever notice it and do something about it without you telling them I'm sad? If it's not obvious, no. Right. Now, do you think that's a possible thing to do, or do you think that's not a possible thing to do? Um, depends on how, well, I guess if you're really interactive, you could ask every so often how you're doing, anything bother you, and if they made it feel, made me feel like I could trust them with things, then I would say something, so I guess it would be possible. Well, and I appreciate you saying, so you could continue to ask, but what I'm asking is, do you think it's possible to know that someone is sad when they're not crying without asking them? It's going take a, with a lot of practice, or if you're trained to recognize it, yes. Right. Right. But So it is. But now, it doesn't actually need really a lot of practice. It needs that mirroring when you're an infant, and then you kind of have it for life, sometimes whether you like it or not. Yeah. So, and, and do you know why I'm, you're obviously a smart fellow. Do you, do you know why I'm asking you all of this weird, annoying, <laughs> perhaps tangential stuff? Um, to know where I'm coming from? 
Well, yeah, that's kind of generic, but why in particular am I asking you about this stuff? Um, the, the question I brought up, or the topic I brought up seemed abnormal, and you wanted to know if there was an explanation for that in my childhood? Again, that's, yeah, that's fairly, again, that's fairly abstract. Um, I, I can be more specific, and then maybe it'll make some more sense. Okay. So you began your topic without empathy for how me or, or, or the Free Domain Radio listeners now and forever would absorb the topic. Okay. Right. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a pretty wild claim because you're claiming knowledge of the existence of aliens, which is a pretty wild claim. Um, you know, I think we would have heard about that. doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's, you know, it's a pretty wild claim. And you didn't seem to know that it was coming across as a really wild claim. So what I'm asking is um, if your parents had the capacity to understand how you felt. In other words, did they show empathy towards you when it wasn't obvious? You know, I mean, you, you go to a pure psychopath and you show a picture of a crying person and you say, is that person sad, right? And they'll say, well, yeah, because, you know, they, that's the sign, right? But if the person is just looking a little muted, then you can say, well, yes, I think, you know, a sensitive person would say, well, yes, I think that person is, is sad. And my daughter looks at a picture where somebody is just looking a tiny bit sad, and she says, I think that person is sad. And we've practiced this, you know, like, a, show me your sad face. Show me your happy face. Show me your whatever face, right? And she's very good at figuring out how people feel without asking them, just by looking at facial expressions. You know, 90% of communication is nonverbal, which is why this show can often be a challenge, right? But she's good at pointing it out and I, I can sometimes notice when she's upset when she's not saying anything or, or if she just seems a bit muted I mean I'll just ask her do you feel upset or whatever right and sometimes I'll ask her if she feels upset and only then does she look up and she then feels her sadness and then we, we talk about it so all of this stuff is very possible to be very sensitive to how you appear to other people and I think the more unusual a set of ideas you have to propose, the more sensitive you need to be to how other people will perceive you. And my guess is that this topic probably alienates you from some of the people around you, which, again, is not an argument for the truth or falsehood of the topic, but is, is that, does that happen? Um, I usually don't bring it up. I think I've only told a few people this ever. And how's that gone? Um, they don't believe me that they don't reject me or anything yeah but does i mean do you feel satisfied that the topic is explored do they right all that kind of stuff not deeply explored but just i got it out there and does it return as a topic of conversation or not um no, well one of it was um with the person who went to went to my college but then dropped out so i don't see him anymore and the other two i told like my family, who is like religious, so that kind of separates us. Are you well, uh, atheist or agnostic? Uh, yeah, I technically atheist. I prefer like non-religious because atheism is often associated with evolution. So I prefer non-religious, but both are technically correct. Right. Okay. And um, do they ask you about your? Do they know about your 
irreligiosity? Uh, yes. And what do they talk about? Uh, do, do they ask you about it or what are their thoughts about it? They don't really talk about it. They're like, I told them, like, okay, you can believe what you want and then not really brought up. Right. And um, do they, when you, when you did talk about it with them, what was their response? Like, surprised. Go on. Um, I guess that's, they weren't really disappointed. Uh, like my mom said, she'd pray for me. That's about it. Wow. I mean, that's so you really didn't talk that much about this very important topic, right? Right. And how do you, what do you think about that? Um, I don't know. Well, no. See, I asked you a feeling topic and you replied with a knowledge topic, right? And I said, how do you feel? And you said, I don't know. Okay, how do I feel? Um, well, that I can't really connect with them because if I can't talk to them something this serious, then how can I have like an emotional connection with them? Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic, right? I mean, you were raised, I assume you were raised religious. You went to, to church and all that and Sunday school maybe and all that. Yeah. And you don't believe. That's a big deal, right? Yeah. And so what, is there anything of importance that you do talk about with your parents? How I'm doing in school, that's... Yeah, not important. Go on. Oh, if that's not important, then no, we don't talk about anything important. Right. Right. And how do you feel about that? <sighs> kind of, like, maybe kind of empty-ish. Like, if I can't, that thing, I, a lot of things I think is important, they don't. So, and we can't really talk about anything serious. And just out of curiosity, I mean, why do you why do you think you can't talk about anything serious? What what would what would what problems would it cause, or what negative things would result? I, I don't know. Like once I tried to like talk, talk kind of like politics, and I tried to bring up a libertarian issue. Like at first went back and forth a little, but then once I made a good point, they kind of like retreated and didn't want to have the discussion. So. Huh. And so you brought up a good point. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, what'd you say? No, go ahead. Or just like, um, they, they're fine talking about issues like this, but once I start making good points, and I think they might don't want to talk about it because they're afraid they might realize they're wrong, so they just don't talk about it. That's what I think. Because like my mom, like we, we did talk a couple of religious debates, but I don't think she would want to talk about it if, She's afraid she might be wrong, kind of thing. Right. Right. And so it's, you know, parental withdrawal, in my opinion, is always kind of punitive. You know, because we're so dependent on our parents for growing up that when they withdraw from us or refuse to participate with us, they're training us in a pretty powerful way to not 
to not uh, pursue those particular topics, right? Yeah. And that's uh, that's really rough on on a kid, right? Yes. I mean, you you obviously, I mean, you you care about where we came from. You care about the universe and and life in the universe and origins of of species. And I mean, you you care about libertarian issues. You thought about religion and atheism. I mean, you are a deep guy in your thoughts, right? Yeah. And when you bring that depth to people, they recoil in a way, right, with your parents. Yeah. They they shut the conversation down, right? Yeah. And I, I, I imagine that you don't feel very comfortable pursuing that and saying, wait a minute, why are you, you know, why, why are you shutting the conversation down? This is important to me. That's kind of rude. Yeah. You you sound sad to me again. I can't see your face, but yeah, little little bit thinking about that. That is kind of hard. And what do you think would happen if you were to say, "Listen, I mean, you know, I don't just want to talk about nothing. You know, we've got a short life, and I think that you know, they'd like I, they'd say, I don't want to talk about this or something. Right, but why? Okay, so you you be your parents or whoever is. So let me just. Do a quick role play here, just so I can sort of understand the map of of this resistance. So, they say I don't want to talk about it, and you say, "Well, I do." And what would they say? I don't know what they would say. Would they accuse you of being rude? Would they say, "No, we've already said we don't want to talk about it." Don't the, the second don't one that they they already said they don't want to talk about it. That one, or most likely something along that those lines. And then you would try to sort of say, well, why don't you want to talk about it? Or can we talk about why you don't want to talk about it? And they would say no to that as well? Yeah. And then I, I, what I would say is I would say, well, l- let me ask you this. Sorry, just outside of the role play. Um, what, uh, when you were a kid, did you want to go to church? It's so little, I don't, I think, usually no, but I kind of enjoyed Sunday school because they like kind of ask you, about your opinion, which is something that doesn't usually happen. Right. Oh, yeah, okay. But, um, but church, not so much, right? Right. And when you, did you ever express to your parents that you didn't want to go to church? Uh, by the time I was in high school, yes, but they made me go anyways. Right. Yeah, because you, you said you were so little, and now you're talking about still going to church in high school, right? Uh, yeah. Now, to the day I left for college, still making me go to church. And why um, – hang on a sec. Let me just sort of make sure I get my question phrased correctly. I always want to make sure I'm not – I always want to make sure I'm asking questions without trying to have the preferred, quote, preferred answer embedded. So this is this, – I want to make sure I, I ask the question the right way because I, I genuinely want information, not confirmation, right? Right. Um, And so you would tell your parents that you didn't want to go to church, and what would they say? You have to go? Pretty much. Or at first they try and like, manipulate me into going, and then if that doesn't work, then they're like, yes, you have to go. Oh, okay. So, if, so the universal statement of that is other people must do what you want. Well, I think it's, they're thinking, well, I'm the parent, so I make the rules kind of thing. Well, a parent is not a moral category, right? 
Right. I mean, you, you don't get to strangle some guy and then say, well, I'm a parent. And they say, well, okay, then you can go free because you're in a separate moral category, right? Right, but they're religious, so honor your mother and your father. They could they use they can believe that with their religion. Right, right, but but philosophically speaking, right, right. Well, and also, of course, I mean, that's just one quote. I assume that they're Christians, not not Jews, right? Right. Okay, so they're down with the New Testament, right? Yeah. And so Jesus said, uh, "He has come to bring a sword to the world. He has come to set." sons against their fathers and children against their parents uh, and so on, right? So he has come to, to create intergenerational warfare because, of course, he was trying to convert Jewish kids into Christianity, which meant that they had to not honor their mother and their father but go for what Jesus claimed was the truth and not for tradition, right? Yeah, but so if you're a Christian, you don't get to say, honor thy mother and thy father. The entire goddamn foundation of Christianity is disrespecting the multi-thousand beliefs of Jewish parents, right? In that way, yes. Wait, in what way? No, is okay, it not yes, that yes. Way? It's, yes. In that way, like this. Well, if you, oh. change, if you go to the other angle, you see the ass of the elephant, right? That is the truth. Christianity arose out of discarding the, the virtue and value of parents. It is an anti-parent religion, and it's explicitly an anti-parent religion. Jesus explicitly says that he's come to set children against their parents. Yeah, I guess forgot about that part. That's Yeah, you know, a lot of people do, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, now, now Christianity has become conservative rather than revolutionary, so now it praises the past. But of course, the foundation of Christianity is overturning the absolute morality of parents completely. And, say, and so for Christianity, if you follow Judaism, you go to hell. So not uh, the, the parents who don't teach their children about Jesus are condemning them to hell. So it's not just disregard your parents. It is your parents are leading you to everlasting torment and hellfire. And your parents are in league with the devil, right? Because they're not accepting Jesus and anybody who doesn't accept Jesus goes to hell. So Christianity is founded on your parents are evil. This is what's so funny when... Christian parents get upset with me. It's like, well, I'm sorry that I listened to your God and you didn't, but this is the reality of the foundation of the religion. Your parents are evil. Break with them, fight them, avoid them, condemn them and their multi-thousand-year tradition of Judaism and follow this, uh, this new guy with the cool sandals, right? Yeah. So it's just, it's, I don't know, it's funny to me when I say question your parents and the Christians get all butthurt about it. It's like, but this is the whole point of your religion. This is why you have a religion. This is why you're Christians. Oh no, now we can't do it anymore because now we've become the tradition. So now tradition should not be questioned. Ah, then why aren't you Jews? Well, because we had someone overturn tradition and call parents evil. I don't call parents evil. I just say it's voluntary. That's evil anyway. Oh, my God. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, it is predictable. I mean, because everybody just uses standards to pursue immediate self-interest and pretend that it's standard. I mean, I get it, but it's still at the, uh, <laughs> at the root of it. It's completely mental. Anytime you try to bring any logical consistency to this stuff. So the rule is other people must do what you want. Parents cannot be claimed as a moral category by Christianity, because Christianity only exists as a religion by calling parents evil. 
and Christ very explicitly made that point. It's not been buried or lost. I have come to set children against their parents. I have come to bring a sword to the world. Uh, he was a, a fighter. He was a revolutionary. Much more fundamental than anything I ever talk about because the stakes for anything I talk about are not heaven and hell other than your life. So if your parents say, well, I don't want to talk about it, then you can just say, well, the rule is that other people have to do what you want. This is why you made me go to church. So now you have to talk about something I want to talk about. Yeah, they, I, I don't think that would work. Because like, even when I point out things in the Bible, when people in general, they usually like, say, oh, you took that out of context or something. Oh, yes, the magical phrase, out of context. Right, because the Bible is all full of context. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard uh, somebody, Christian, was years ago saying to me, well, the, if you take things out of context in the Bible, then it's an atheist work. Because you can say, well, the Bible says there is no God. But if you omit the beginning of the sentence, the fool in his heart has said there is no God, right? Then whatever, right? And it's just like, oh, my, oh, man, really? Really? Well, you know, if you reverse all the moral statements of the Communist Manifesto, it becomes the Capitalist Manifesto. <laughs> well, yeah, you can play word games with anything. I mean, if you replace I love you, if you just replace the four-letter word love with hate, then you get the opposite. And therefore, it's a bad marriage. And it's like, what? Is this what you people do? Just sit around and play word games? I mean, there's, I mean, there's no context in the Bible whatsoever because... It is a work that, like a fly's eye, is developed to be impressively multifaceted and appeal to the widest possible section of the population, knowing the diversity of human thought. So, yeah, so they would quote Bible, and they would simply refuse to talk about anything of substance or depth, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is, let me, let me ask you this. Is this a more important and enjoyable and useful conversation than aliens and evolution? It's like comparing apples to oranges. They're just good in their own way. Okay. Well, I th and, and the, let, let, me, let me make it useful for you then, hopefully. or make it more useful. You do not speak depth well. Because you don't have much experience speaking depth, right? I don't have much experience speaking Japanese. I don't speak Japanese well, right? Right. And the reason I'm saying this is you have something important that you want to communicate. Yes. And it's a very deep topic. The origin of the species is a very deep topic. Whether other intelligent life forms exist in the universe, which of course they do. I mean, statistically, it would be impossible that they didn't, right? I mean, as close to impossible as you can get, blah de blah de blah right? Mm -hmm. So this is, and this, is, this, this impacts upon... Uh, biology, through evolution, questions of evolution, this impacts upon sense of identity, this certainly impacts upon religion, and this impacts upon, you know, pretty fundamental question, are we alone in the universe? It's a fantastic question. I don't think the aliens will come as genetic tinkerers, I think the aliens will come with a gigantic mall, because they have to be traders. They have to have free markets, otherwise they'll never develop the technology necessary for space travel. Oh, it's always the military that comes. The, <laughs> the military, I mean, they, they, can, they can't even 
buy a hammer for less than $500. The idea that they're going to, of their own accord, without the free market, build spaceships. The only way that you're going to, it's trade. They're going to come with them all and they're going to want um, whatever we've got. Not our baby's brains or anything. They're just, yeah, we want traders. Because it's traders who get things done. It's traders who build things that last. It's traders who innovate. It's traders who move the whole goddamn species forward. All these resentful trolls sitting on our fucking backs complaining about the free market while gobbling up uh, the cell phones and uh, internet and porn produced by the free market. It's just horrible. Anyway. So you do not speak depth very well. And I, I say this without a shred of criticism or negative intent. I say this out of affection and out of a desire to help you get what you want. You don't have experience talking about deep topics. Because deep topics were avoided and forbidden in your household. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's not a deficiency on your part. It's a tragedy on your parents' part. I mean, it is wretched for parents to not talk about deep topics with their children to not teach them the language of... And intimacy is depth. Look, this is why I said talking about how well you do in school doesn't count. You can talk about how well you do with school in school with your teacher, with a guy on the bus, a guy on the plane, with your hand puppets, you know, and that's fine. It's not like it's unimportant information. My wife and I will sometimes discuss the weather. Like, doesn't it feel like the whole world is in a deep freeze and I'd sure like to get out of the prettiest space station in the known universe known as my house, which I cannot leave because it's minus 25 outside. But we will talk about very deep topics and very personal topics because having the range is good. It's positive. So you don't speak depth, right? Right. And, and you, but you want to. So you need to recognize that you don't speak depth and learn how to speak depth so that you can effectively communicate the important things that you want to communicate. I have the podcast or the show or the conversation with the deepest topics and it's very successful and so I hope that you will accept my experience in this in that I grew up in a household you could kind of talk about deep topics but it was very conformist though in other words my, my mother would talk about deep topics but if I disagreed with her she would explode in rage so it was you know, deep but terrifying. You know, it was lost in, in, in the minds of Moria without a light. Okay, we're deep. I'm scared, right? I mean, so that was sort of my, my experience. Exposure to depth with accompanying side order of terror. So if you have not had experience growing up talking about things that are deep, things that are important, things that are foundational to knowledge and, and personality, then you just don't have a lot of experience, which is why I was startled and everyone in the chat room was startled when you brought up this topic as if it was perfectly natural and just launched into it without getting any feedback, right? right. And it's not because, I mean, it's, it, you don't lack intelligence, you don't lack capacity. It's just like if I don't know... You know, when you go to Japan, there are all these formalities, right? Like you have to do things a certain way. You have to use certain words. There are particular rituals of approaching people of higher status or whatever, right? I don't know those things. Like I would just barge in, scratch my groin, sit down, uh, put my feet up, and uh, start chatting. And they'd be like, 
what crazy big nose foreign person is this who doesn't know anything about anything? And they would immediately be off put, right? Yeah. And because I don't know those particular rituals, right? And so if I wanted to be effective in communicating in the Japanese community, what would I need to do? Learn Japanese and their community and their their norms. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you want to talk about depth in society, listen, you are not alone in this at all, my friend. You are truly not alone in this. This problem of depth avoidance, you know, there's a reason Jesus walked on water and didn't go deep, right? It is impossible to maintain fantasy in the face of true emotional intimacy, right? This is why fantasy, as I've always argued, alienates, disconnects, and isolates people, right? Cults isolate people. Fantasy isolates people. Fantasy is a cult. Whether that fantasy is nationalism or racism or religiosity, it isolates people because there's so much you can't talk about. Once you make an ideal, the impossible, intimacy becomes impossible. And the whole world recoils from depth because in depth is common humanity. In depth, we are all one. We all shit, we all fart, we all fuck, we all die. We all think, we all fear, we all love, we all hate. In depth, there is no hierarchy. In intimacy, in connection, there is no hierarchy. And so all hierarchies must alienate people from connecting with each other, from speaking openly and honestly about thoughts and feelings. Right? And so to connect is to dissolve the imaginary pyramids of artificial privilege. And your goal, I believe, is to connect. The important thing in what I do is not even so much the content, it's the form that matters. People can disagree with me all they want, but for God's sake, talk to each other about childhoods. Talk to each other about deep thoughts, feelings, disappointments, alienations, connections, frustrations, hopes, dreams, fears. Talk to each other. Talk to each other. Connect with each other. There's nothing wrong with small talk. Nothing wrong with it at all. Small talk does not overturn the conversation any more than froth on the top of a wave overturns an ocean liner. But connect in a deep way and hierarchies dissolve in connection. I mean... I want people to talk deeply and thoughtfully about experiences and ideas and hopes and dreams because through that process, the iron grip of the cult of fantasy, of delusion, of artificiality, of indoctrination, of propaganda dissolves in connection. So I really want you to have that connection with people I really want you to have that connection with people. But the first thing in achieving mastery is recognizing deficiency. Humility is 
the foundation of excellence. And I would argue, I can't tell you anything definitively about yourself. I hope you understand that. I'm simply telling you my opinion. So if it's not true, discard it completely. But I can't imagine, given your history, how you have the, the capacity to connect with people at a deep level, not only because your own personal experience is anti-depth, not just non-depth, it's anti-depth. Children want to talk about important things, right? Children want to know why is there war. Children want to know where did the world come from. Children want to know why are parents in charge. Children want to know why do I have to go to school. Children want to know why do I have to go to church, right? Mm -hmm. Children want to know all these deep things. I mean, this, is, this wasn't like you turned 18 and suddenly began to wonder where you came from. You want to know. So let me tell you something. This is the last thing I will talk about, and then I will get your, your feedback. But I really want to tell you something. Dreams occur in waking life. Ooh! <laughs> let me make sure that that statement comes across clearly. Right. So what the things that the things that we're passionate about have can can be read in, in psychological terms in the same way that our, our dreams can as expressions of early childhood experiences, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw this in the uh, in the chat room. Steph goes balls deep. <laughs> that is uh, uh, an impressive way of putting it. <laughs> but um, so you talked. The first thing that I always try to listen to what people are saying at every level, at every level. Now, when you're saying to me, space aliens were responsible for our development, I look at that first and foremost because of your youth and because of your lack of self-knowledge in this particular area, which I completely understand and sympathize with. I first hear that as like I would hear a dream. Like if you called me up and said, Steph, I had a dream about space aliens developing mankind. Then what I would say is, how was your relationship with your parents? Look, space aliens are very often unconsciously a stand-in for parents. Why? Because they have superior technology. They have superior abilities. Uh, they're often uh, vastly, or vastly above us in, in a hierarchy of some kind. As, of course, gods are as well. I mean, that's so obvious, right? God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, it's all family stuff, right? So when you say space aliens are responsible for human development, what I hear is I could not talk to my parents, right? Because space aliens are much more powerful than us they guide our development in the same way that parents guide our development individually. In your approach, space aliens guide our development as a species. We can't talk to them because they're space aliens, right? They don't, they don't talk to us. They have trouble empathizing with us because they are a different species. They are manipulating and controlling us, and you said that your parents stop manipulating and then end up with a simple statement of banning. So they manipulate us in the same way that our genetics were manipulated by space aliens, and we have no particular contact with them because they're space aliens. They lack the ability to connect with the human because they're not human. Now, this has no bearing on the truth or false statement of your proposition, but I do find it interesting that what drives you intellectually 
also seems to me in full accord with your isolated and unempathetic emotional history with your parents. And if your parents were cold to you as a baby, and you talk about space aliens manipulating human beings in a kind of cold way, right? Manipulating human beings... And prior to our memory as a species, it could be that you're, you're actually getting an unconscious echo of your parents' treatment of you when you were an infant. And this is the kind of depth that I would suggest that you explore within yourself before you begin bringing deep topics to other people. You have to make sure that the deep topics are not deep because of your own personal trauma, because of your own personal history. Because when you, if you have not processed something emotionally in your history, and you say you can't feel it or connect with it, I'm going to ask you about that. If you have not processed something emotionally in your history, you will recreate your trauma in other people. And when you first began talking with me, and you can listen to this back in the show, when you first began talking with me, I experienced intrusiveness, a lack of empathy, and I felt invisible in the conversation because my natural responses were neither anticipated nor asked about. You just went on with your own preference without any empathy, and I think that's your parents. So my concern is that you're recreating your own childhood experience with these ideas with other people. And that's not going to be good for you or for other people or for the ideas that you care about. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, it makes some sense. All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're in school, you can talk to a, a therapist about this issue. So you can journal. You can, But I would dig deep into your own personal history and just make sure that you're able to communicate from a clear and uncluttered and empathetic place, but I don't think you can achieve anything good in the world without first developing your own empathy, and uh, given your upbringing, which I think is tragically lacking in empathy, in fact, it's anti-empathetic, in that when you bring up topics that are important to you, it's not indifference, but rejection. We won't talk about this, right? And uh, kind of an authoritative bullying uh, of that. So that would be my, my suggestion, if that makes any sense. Okay. I think empathetic thing, that's just, I've gotten better for small things, like recognizing people's emotions, like everyday scenarios that just haven't had experience on topics like this. Right, right. And I, I, you know, I want you to be able to achieve your goal of communicating deep things to people. Uh, So I would definitely, um, I would recommend this as a pursuit before you go for the, the, before you can change anybody's minds, you first have to connect with them. In my in my opinion and experience, so. Okay, so then I guess you want to postpone. I would this be happy debate to postpone, another I'm, day. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about it, and um, but I would do a bit of self work first, in my opinion, and then I would be happy to talk about it. But I don't want to participate in anything which may be maybe a uh, recreation of early experiences of alienation. Um, so yeah, do a little bit of work on that. I feel, please, I mean honestly, it's it's an interesting topic, and I'd like to know more about it. Okay, so I'm sorry. I know it's went on a bit of an odd tangent, perhaps, but uh, I hope that was helpful. And if we could move on to the next caller, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for allowing me to hijack your conversation and take it in a different direction. I really appreciate that. I know that that was perhaps a little odd, uh, but uh, I really, really appreciate your, your trust in that. 
Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Next up today, we have Jonathan. Jonathan, you're up. Uh, good morning, Stefan. Are you there? Good morning. How are you doing? Good. My name is Jonathan. Um, I would like to do a brief in- – my argument is about um, – excuse me. Let me just- I advocate a small amount of sociopathy and corruption. It is as an inevitable and necessary construct uh, on a small scale and therefore a good thing. And I have a brief statement to back up that claim. Based so on personal- evil is good. Not evil, not evil, but corrupt. I, I view corruption as inevitable, as part of our biological function. I mean, look, evil is good is not, I mean, not necessarily wrong. I mean, polio viruses are bad, except in small doses, which give you immunity to the polio through vaccinations, right? Yeah. So yeah. polio can be very good uh, yeah. in small doses. So Same. is this your sort of argument? Well, also that parasite, that parasitism in biology is a one-way street, but at the same time, parasites are a way of uh, showing the viability of the host, the health of the host, and that when a host is about to die, I think parasites naturally reproduce and kind of overtake the host in the natural like reproductive cycle in order to spread itself to another host that perhaps will consume it. And I think that this... Uh, parasitism is also, you know, comes into being in terms of socioeconomics and that corruption on a small scale is always there, but as an, an, an a viable host, it's kept in check. But as the host dies, in this case, you could argue for the United States government, the corrupt entities that are have the most access to the most resources grow and feed larger as they sense the natural death of the viability of, the, of the, that host. All right. Um, why is this topic so important to you? I'm not saying it shouldn't be. Uh, I just want to know why it's important to you. Because... You could have talked about anything, right? And this may be a, a perfectly great topic. I'm not criticizing the topic at all. No. I just want to know why it's important to you. Well, it's important to me at this moment. I, want, I don't know. I, 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 you know. I read Zero Hedge every morning. I, I try to keep in on to... The financial news, and I try to make sense of the world. And uh, I, I always hear people who try to talk about utopianism and the free market, which I do agree. But I think they have a myopic vision in that they always think, well, if everyone played by the rules, everything would be great. But it's, I think it's it's inevitable that no one, not that everyone, will never play by the rules, and that. Well, the more the more people who play by the rules, the more valuable it becomes to break the rules, right? So if yeah. the, if you're the only thief in the world because everybody else respects property rights, you have a completely easy time being exactly. a thief. And right? and so, if there are and if there are no thieves, right? And let's say you could magically eliminate all corruption from a system. I think that would inevitably lead to a a weak kind of system that 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 like thievery and corruption in the long run strengthens the system because it creates feedback loops that we as humans develop uh, security from, the, you know, security to, to counteract the corruption. It might take years. It could take centuries. It does, but I think inevitably it does – society do, does improve from, from this corruption. Oh, yeah. I mean with the caveat that there's no such thing as society, right? 
individuals suffer enormously from it, but you could say society as a whole, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Look, I'm I'm look, I'm completely aware, and I've it's actually a, a core part of my documentary. Okay. I'm completely aware and have talked about it extensively that when you make the world more virtuous, you increase the rewards for evildoers in general, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So virtue is a stimulus to vice. Yeah. The more people who respect property rights, the easier it is to be a thief. Again, if you're the only thief in the world, nobody's going to lock their stuff up and they're going to just assume they lost it, you know, if, if something goes yeah. missing. Yeah, right. yeah. It's like exactly. it's like that movie, The Invention of Lying, right? Exactly. Which is, yeah, yeah, starts exactly. off strong, and I think ends pretty weakly. But yeah. so yeah, th- th- when I talk about uh, being virtuous, I'm fully aware that it's like taking cow shit and smearing it on a field for evil, right? Mm-hmm. Virtue yeah. is is the manure for uh, evil weeds. Uh, I, I fully, which is why I also talk about identification of evil and self protection. Right and and also why UPB is so essential to the spread of virtue in the world. UPB, because, uh, universally preferable behavior. It's uh, my uh, my approach to ethics, because uh, evil achieves its greatest power through the manipulation of ethics, through the manip- manipulation of morality. I mean, there's no thief equivalent to the government, and the government claims that it does what it does out of virtue and practicality. Mm-hmm. And so, if you don't give good people the intellectual ammunition and the emotional skills to detect and defang evil, then yes, you are you know, rubbing children with marinade and throwing them into a lion's den when the lions are hungry and dressing them up as Siegfried or Roy or whoever it was that was bitten by, by the lion. So, yeah, I'm fully aware that telling people to be good is a great strategy of evildoers, right? A lot of evil people in the world generally encourage... I mean, the, the smartest evil people in the world encourage people to be good. Yeah, I mean, because greatest, it reduces competition. Yeah, it reduces competition for the evil they want to do, right? Exactly. One of the greatest adaptations of humans is hypocrisy. It's something the animals oh, yeah. aren't capable of. So yeah. Oh so, yeah, especially moral hypocrisy. Moral hypocrisy. Yeah. You know, stealing is wrong, so I'm going to steal. Or for parents, hitting is wrong, but I'm going to hit. I mean, this hypocrisy is is the most powerful tool that yeah. evil has. And yeah. then any time you point that out, people just say, "Well, that's an ad hominem, man. That's a two cock, man." Well, because they yeah, usually yeah. don't speak Latin, if that, and if they're using the word "man," but uh, people would just say, "Well, that's an ad hominem." And an ad hominem is an argument that is invented by evildoers so that their own personal hypocrisy is considered irrelevant to yeah. the discussion. But I'm just working on a short philosophical paper, which is going to hopefully destroy that fallacy that uh, the crit- criticism of a, an individual's hypocrisy does give us the right to discard his moral theories. Uh, and Not just you know practically, but rationally as well. So I'm sort of working on that. But yeah, I, you tell people to be good without giving them the tools to disarm the moral arguments of evil. I mean, you're just setting them up for further predation. You know, let, let me tie your hands behind you. Now go fight the zombies, right? I mean, that's yeah. terrible. But I also believe um, that part of the, the reason we have corruption, well, is, um, is the fact that Life is inevitably chaotic. We have these periods of, of equilibrium, and then we have, you know, destruction and 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 disaster and war, and that and in these disaster situations, having some sociopathic uh, bent can be inevitably a great uh, um, what's the word advantage over those who are too um, generous. Yeah, know? I mean, if you if you look at um... The, the nice guy during the time of Genghis Khan who respected women and who would buy them flowers and attempt to woo them, uh, his genes spread a whole lot less than the rape horde of the Genghis Khan brigade, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I fully accept and agree with you there, which is why I have a program for eliminating evil that is to do not with encouraging good people to be good, but give not just that, but mm-hmm. encouraging encouraging and giving the good people the tools to expose the greatest predations of evil, which is why this show bothers bad people more than any other show uh, that uh, that I know of. So, I mean, nobody I gets that angry at uh, MSN or, or Fox, but people really hate this show, which is natural. I mean, that's that's a mark of, I take a, that's a mark, a mark of pride and that I'm doing something very useful and good. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I just want to talk briefly about Bitcoin. I know you're a big advocate of it. I... I do agree that it has a lot of positive qualities. Uh, I just one of the things that it lacks from the Aristotelian point of view is the the intrinsic value. And I know you know it doesn't it lacks the gold. Oh well, I argue gold does have intrinsic value, but it has the divisibility, portability, durability. Uh, and part of the problem also with Bitcoin is since it's such a no, small no, hang market. on, hang on. Sorry, you're just blowing past that. So, according to the Aristotelian argument, Bitcoin lacks intrinsic value because it lacks material value. Like, it's not a physical thing like gold, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. But, I mean, I made this argument before. That is not an argument against its intrinsic value. That is an argument for its intrinsic value Uh because it cannot be stolen. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Gold can be stolen. Uh-huh. And, and it regularly is by governments, right? So uh, gold can be identified and found and stolen very easily, right? Uh, and so uh, I, I you think... can't steal a Bitcoin in the same way. Well, but so you can... the ar- Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I think you can steal Bitcoins. I mean, hackers, I think, have stolen Bitcoins, and the government can confiscate No, Bitcoins. no, no. I mean, As hackers, have stolen, sorry, ha- hackers have stolen Bitcoins because people transmit their Bitcoin identifier over, like in clear text over Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's not people stealing Bitcoins. That's like people leaving their wallet on a park bench and then crying thief, thief, thief four days later, right? Uh-huh. So well, people they, who don't secure, right? If, if I leave my car running on the street in a bad neighborhood and then go away on a week's vacation, it's not going to be there when I get back, right? Uh-huh. But well, if I lock my car in my garage, it probably is, right? But the guy, Dead Pirate Roberts, whatever that guy who ran the Silk Road, his was confiscated by the FBI. So it could also be well, confiscated yes, that's, by that's the That's because his – I don't know the details of that, but I would assume that they had his computer with all his bitcoins on it. And it was not secured and it was, was not protected and it was not encrypted and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, bitcoins can be stolen if you don't take the most rudimentary precautions well, they also protect get- them. But that's true of gold as well. If I leave gold in a mall, if I leave a bunch of gold coins in a mall, people are going to steal those too. But that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with gold because if you leave it in a mall, people will steal it. Yeah. And when that also argues for the fact that its intrinsic value is not negated by it being stolen as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you're careless with your bitcoins, you And you're will- careless with your gold. Yeah. If, yeah, I mean, if I if I leave uh, if I leave my gold in a field and I can't remember where it is, that doesn't mean that gold no longer has intrinsic value, right? So it's immaterial. Its immateriality is its intrinsic value in the same way that the immateriality of email is its intrinsic value. Why do we use email rather than send letters? Well, it doesn't have any physical representation. It's just bits and bytes, right? Uh, and therefore, it has the value of bits and bytes. So saying that something doesn't have physical manifestation. And therefore, it doesn't pass the Aristotelian test of no, value. I don't no, think it's valid. Well, the one thing I should also argue, unless we figure out a way to create a supernova 
you know, in, in a machine. We can't create gold, but we can create clones to Bitcoin. And I think there's about 50 or 60 of them right now. So, you know. Well, but it, so what? There's lots of, look, look, there's lots of currencies around the world. That doesn't mean that each currently ha- currency has no value. No. Right? I mean, there's, there's so, but, so but the fact that there are other. Infinite, you could have theoretically infinite copies of, of, of Bitcoin derivatives. Well, yeah, but that's like saying that everyone could invent their own language, and yeah. and therefore human beings will never be able to communicate. I mean, that's just not what's going to happen in the world. People are going to flock to that which has the most established value. People aren't going to put their money into some guy's my coin thing that he runs on some two eighty six from his basement, right? They're going to look for that which has uh, you know, the most stability, the greatest uh, acceptance, and so on. So there is a. Um, as you know, there's the value in wide adoption is huge. Yeah. Right. The value in wide adoption is is huge, and it's almost irreplaceable. You know, but, nobody's going to come up with some alternative to TCP/IP or or Ethernet or something. like. It's just it's too widely adopted. It's not really going to happen. Uh huh. So um, I think Bitcoin being first out of the gate and having the widest acceptability and the widest user base. Of course, what also happens is the more people who have investments in bitcoins. Uh-huh. the more that they're going to work to maintain the value of Bitcoins, which means if someone comes up with some cool new thing, they'll put it into Bitcoins. It's, it's adaptable, right? Yeah, but there's, I mean, I mean, there's a lots of other coins, and there's about 10 or 11 I could see coming up and getting the same value as Bitcoin, especially if Bitcoin becomes too – its price is so high. you know. And it also can be manipulated. So now I think um, Reggie Mid- Middleton and uh, Max Kaiser are creating some kind of market where you can f- short it and, and, and you know like a derivatives market for Bitcoin, which no, I think but shorting will- it is great. No, shorting Bitcoins is fantastic because it means it's going to stabilize the price. I mean, once you get people into sh- this is one of the reasons why Bitcoin I think has become more stable is that people are shorting it. Yeah. Shorting it means that you make money when it goes down. Do you, I mean? Do you think that it'll have the stability of? Of you know a fluctuation of three percent per year, because I think you would have to have something close to that. Because if you had a Bitcoin that doubles in value within a week or halves in value a week, it's something it would be hard to trade for a tangible object. No. Sure. Yeah, I mean, but I've made the case before that computers double in power every year. Uh-huh. They're an incredibly unstable and deflationary good, but people uh-huh. still buy computers, right? You yeah, know, they, if you spend thousand bucks on a computer now, you know you're going to get one twice as good this time next year. Yeah. But you still will do it, right? Because the computer industry still – I mean, the reason why you will have a computer twice as good next year is because so many people are buying it this year that they give money to the hardware and software companies to innovate and, and all that, right? So, I mean, if you look at computers, they, they, they halve in price every single year. Yeah, but and, if you're – Sorry, go ahead. No, but if you're going to – Sell, buy something with the bitcoins, and the bot, the seller receives those bitcoins, and it halves in value. I don't think you'll see the value in that. You know, no, with come on. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done business um, on a long-term scale or at an international level, but no, you just I'm, take that into account. If you know that the value of bitcoin is going to be doubled next year, in other words, it's doubled every year for the past ten years, you just take uh-huh. that into account, right? Uh-huh. When you when you make your sale. But it doesn't. I In mean, fact, you'll be able to sell things for you'll you'll be able to th- sell things cheaper to people, because you know that the value of what they're paying you in is going to increase. Yes, but that's assuming you know it's going to double in a year, and Bitcoin can double in a day. It can it can go down half in a day. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, has. it has uh, it hasn't done that quite as much, and, and of course, it's doing that not because of anything to do with Bitcoin. It's doing that because governments are making you know stupid, ridiculous central planning decisions with regards to the tradeability of Bitcoin. Like China says to its banks, "You can't trade Bitcoins anymore." You know, government yeah. seizes Silk Road. Ah, I mean, it's all just. But that's because Bitcoin has value. I mean, so you can't blame Bitcoin for uh, for attracting the interest of governments. They wouldn't care about it if it wasn't important. No, I, and, and I, I agree. I just think possible another evolution in the Bitcoin would be a, a hybrid. Like, say, if you could um, develop a cryptocurrency that has a connection to, a, you know, a gram of gold or a gram of silver. Already done. Already done. People are already working on that, and I wish them luck. I wish them. No, luck. I, I, I do as well. It. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole. Why is that? Why is because that? Because that which has that which has tangibility can be stolen by governments, and but, and regularly is. I mean, this is not unprecedented, right? They seized if, if bank the US, accounts. They they killed the Liberty Dollar. They shut down e-gold. They like all this crap is yeah, is going it, on. I come if, if it's e-gold or something else, but. No, I know, but if the government declares that bitcoins are a conduit of criminal activity, would that yeah. not negate its value as well? No, it would increase its value. Even if it became illegal to own them? Especially if it became illegal. Really? Well, have you heard of the war on drugs? What happened to the price of heroin when the government made it illegal? And, and you're saying normal wait, everyday wait, wait. business? What happened, what happened to the price of heroin when government made it illegal? Oh, it went up. I agree with that. And through but, the roof. But I don't think Walmart would take an ounce of heroin for a new car, right? Yeah, but so what? It still means that once you make it illegal, I mean, look, do you think the mafia is interested in bitcoins? Of course they are. Yeah. I mean, what a great way to run a criminal enterprise. But if we're talking about adoptability on a large scale, if you make something illegal, it's still going to be done by the mom and pop. They're going to take something that they could wind up in jail for. And and you know buy you're a not new looking, refrigerator. Sorry, but you, sorry to interrupt. You're not looking at the whole picture of the economy. You're just looking at the above the table legal, right? So do you, do you know between a half and a third of the world's economy is black market yes. or gray market? Oh, I know that. In the middle, especially in the third world. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, what do they care if if the I mean, it's better for them if the government declares it illegal. It's better for criminals. Yeah, because then the criminal element will have a more stable currency than if everyone else is trying to elbow them aside and get and, and change its value. Yeah, well, I guess you could argue then you would have another prohibition, and during that time, criminals criminality grows exponentially. I mean, of course it will rise. Absolutely. I mean, if you give, I mean, if you if you fence off the the, the economy as a whole, and, and Bitcoin becomes the the tool of of trade in the in the third world, and and so on then of course criminal activity will get a lot more efficient because they'll be able to spend more time and energy you know, hitting people in the knees with a baseball bat rather than laundering money. So, so yeah, it, of course, I mean, yeah. So you will be recreating like Al Capone's and uh, Ed O'Bannon's basically. With the yeah, big, and, and so what, what will happen is you know, people will kidnap other people and, and force them to cough up their Bitcoin address in order to steal their Bitcoins. Yeah. But yeah. there is also, because Bitcoins are so valuable... There is there is hesitation uh, in in the West to you know it's it's re- it, when you're governments it's really important that your cows never touch the electric fence, uh-huh. right? They, what they think is just it's some pretty little wires to keep the wolves out. Right? Uh-huh. That's what that's how 
government like, sell the electric like fence. Now, like of course, it's to keep the cows in, but, but you don't want your cows touching the electric fence if you're the government. Now, if you do something like ban bitcoins, uh, then the cows will suddenly have touched the electric fence. So you have to keep your cows away from the electric fence. And sometimes know. the cows touch the electric fence. You know, like when Barack Obama openly lies about you keeping your doctor and your healthcare plan and all that. It just open. It's a pssst, shit, right? Uh -huh. Too too much of the matrix has been revealed, right? Uh -huh. And this is why now they're they're the, the government is paying Hollywood studios to make movies and TVs TV shows praising Obamacare, right? Get get people back away from that fucking fence, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you ban bitcoins, it gets people a little bit too close to the fence. Uh, you you have to have it's got to be a foggy whip. It cannot be straight on the back with razor wire. I I just think if if the government would ban bitcoins and it became an illegal currency, I don't think it would go away. I do think it would be adopted by criminals. But you know, if Walmart and and, and um, Ford and GM, GM whatever GM doesn't accept it, which it wouldn't be able to because uh, you know, obviously it's illegal. I think it would be somewhat of an effective way to eliminate its universal adoptability. Yeah, of course. But so what? I mean, you said yourself earlier that Walmart doesn't accept heroin. Yeah. But if Walmart did accept heroin as a currency, the price would be way lower. The price has gone up. Right? Well, so the, statistics, it, on, the statistics for heroin in the 1960s was it was you could get three hits of heroin for 25 pennies. After the government made it illegal, one hit of heroin cost you 10 pounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing better for illegal drug trade than to make it illegal. I mean, the illegality of it is, is the best thing for the price. I, I don't want to argue there at all. Yeah. But I, I think for me, especially in, in third world countries and places outside of America, that if you – like this is my theory on – the of a cryptocurrency backed by gold. Uh, Chris Martin or Chris Martinson, he had he, Martinson, he yeah. yes, with the pre P prosperity, he just came out with a new currency. It's basically a dollar, it's like looks like a dollar, or whatever, but it has like a gram of gold encased inside of it. It's like an uh, and so I, I think that's a good idea, but it, it doesn't have the ability of, of a cryptocurrency that could be zapped, you know, back and forth globally and not be traced. But uh, what I was possibly maybe I'm wrong, is that you could adopt that part of it where you have stacks and stacks of this paper, which has a gram or an ounce of whatever, gold and silver, and you place them in vaults all around the world in places that are would allow it, and each and every bill would have a, a, a like an algorithm unique to itself that can be verified through a machine that goes through each one. Why? Well, sorry, be, but if you sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I just yeah. I don't want you to give away a business plan if this is something. No, 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 no. It's just a theory. I I, I could be completely idiotic about. It. I don't know. Well, why just, don't you do it? I, I lack the. I don't know. I don't know if I have the skill set for that. I wish I did. But so what? I mean, Brad Pitt doesn't know how to work a camera. It doesn't mean there are no Brad Pitt movies, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. I mean, just find people who can. I just, I don't want you to tr like if you've got a really great idea then I don't want you to sort of hand that out like candy. Uh, I think we can all agree that Bitcoin is a great experiment. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone can agree that it's really cool that it's there. Yeah. 
So I would, uh, and it, it is expanding. My goodness, I mean, Newegg takes it, Tiger Direct. Oh, I, I agree. Like, uh, they take I, it. There are like twenty thousand merchants across the world who take bitcoins, and those bitcoins do get spent. So I think, I mean, we can all be happy that it's there. I mean, what no, a very, I, what, what an amazing and cool thing it is that. Uh, we have open source encrypted anonymous currency that is accepted by 20,000 merchants around the world. I mean, that we, we all got to admit that's pretty cool. Maybe it's a bubble. I mean, nobody can know the future to that to to that degree. Maybe it's a bubble, maybe it's not. I I can't I've never told anyone to buy bitcoins and I've never predicted the future price. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I think they're really cool things to 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 be around and it's a great example of how spontaneous order and voluntary collaboration can occur and how an entire currency system can be developed without paying people to develop it. I mean, I know they profited from Bitcoin mining early on and so on, but they had no way of knowing that when they were um, developing it. And, and you know, finally, anything which sticks it to the financial banksters and, and threatens their oligopoly, I think is uh, delicious no matter what happens. Oh, yeah. Shot no. across the bows, right? I agree 100%. Yeah. I'm just... You know, arguing to see. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out if it's. I mean, I, I'm. How long it's going to last? You know, what its value is going to be in the future? You know, it it's um, pitfalls. You know, just that's. I'm just throwing them out there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and uh, everyone should take that into advice uh, and and figure that out. But uh, it is uh, it is very cool, and uh, the fact that in the third world uh, people can get access to sophisticated financial services without. Assholes in suits, I think, is a, a delicious and wonderful thing. And I, you know, it's you got to look at you. Gotta remember to look at this from the third world as well, where a burner cell phone can be your secure wallet and your entire IPO. So, um, you know, yeah, it's not yeah. just us here in the first world who need to evaluate the value of Bitcoin. I think it's looking at it from other perspectives is important as well. All right, was there any other questions you had? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you. Great call. And seriously, think about this business idea of yours. Um, well, if you, if, you, if you know anyone who might be interested, you can let me know. <laughs> well, just post it on the message board and, and tell people that you'd like to talk about it for, and I think that would be important. So. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, totally. Listen, I mean, if you've got a great idea, you do it, for heaven's sakes. I mean, you live once, and find a way to make it happen uh, if you've got a great idea. So. All right. Okay. Can I ask you one more question? Uh, you're from Ireland. You were born in Ireland. I was born in Ireland, Sonny. Yeah. Ah, so was I. I was just curious, how long were you there for? Uh, I think it was a matter of weeks. Ah, uh, I mean, okay. I went back every summer. I went back ah. every summer, but uh, it ah. was uh, when I was a kid. But uh, it was not uh, long. I was sort of. I think my mom was on the way to England, and they had to. I think, if, if memory serves me right, family law is that my mom went into labor on the plane, and they had to emergency land the plane. Really? Because obviously, I've been inconvenient to everyone from the very beginning, and. Uh, <laughs> So, um, uh, yeah, that's okay. apparently the story. And so then we, we sort of moved on uh, and went from there. So, uh, Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. All right. Next up is David. Yes, hello. <clears throat> Stefan. Hello. Yes. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> I'm well. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. I appreciate y'all's patience. Uh, I could not mute my uh, phone. Skype wasn't cooperating. But uh, at any rate, I had uh, uh, one one comment, uh, side question, and one main question. All right. And uh, 
So I saw you on Joe Rogan uh, the first time and it introduced me to you and your thoughts. And uh, it's been a great ride. Definitely appreciate it. Um, and I didn't know who Peter Schiff was. And I saw him on the show yesterday and I saw you uh, uh, filling in for him. So I got to kind of uh, see where he was coming it's from. It's kind of weird, and, uh, right? So you, you find me on Joe Rogan <laughs> and then you go back to Joe Rogan to see Peter Schiff. And then I'm filling in for the Peter Schiff radio show. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> I know, I know, but it, it kind of, uh, what spoke volumes for me was when he said how he was basically a fracker, you know, he's involved in the business and, uh, it just, it's kind of seemed real, uh, contra contradictory, controversial, uh, kind of shit and where you eat type thing. Um, uh, but that's another topic. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I thank you, um, very much for hosting these shows, taking time away from your family, you know, and anything else you're involved in, hopefully it's paying off, uh, plan on contributing uh, more in the future. Thank you. Uh, no, so listen, if you're just starting, you no, know, listen for a while and find out if I go off the rails. You know, that that's important. You know, I would get into someone. No, it's, it's serious. I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. So whenever I would get into someone when I was younger, like, oh, this, this person's really cool, right? Oh, I, I, I like the way they think. They're really, And then I'd listen to them or read them. And then at some point, I'd be like, what? What are they saying now? Let me rewind that. Did I get that right? You know, <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. So Very true. Yeah. yeah and, and make sure I don't go insane. At some point, right? And this is important because, you know, I mean, throw your support behind me if you think I'm generally consistent, have good stuff to say. I appreciate that. But listen enough that you feel confident so that you don't donate. And then next time I talk about how killer whales uh, should run nursery schools or something, like whatever stupid shit I might come up with. Just, you know, be, be skeptical, you know, and uh, all that. So, like, I've, I've watched a couple of people online. I want to sort of get into names. I'm like, wow, that's a really, in, uh, you know, cool and uh, insightful analysis. And then I do a Google search or I look at some of their other videos and it's like, whoa. I guess they have an evil twin who also speaks on the internet because <laughs> the stuff they're saying now is mad. So, yeah, be skeptical and keep listening. <laughs> There's a flip, flip, flip side to every flip side, eh? Yeah, I guess uh, so. No, I'd, I'd like to meet you in person and hand you a $50 bill or something. No shit. I mean, going through all this PayPal, I'm trying to get that coordinated or whatever to donate, but... You can email Michael, yeah. operations at freedomainradio.com. If you ever need, like, so usually late on a Saturday night, there's a place down in, in Toronto on Church Street, just down near sort of uh, Jarvis Street, Church Street, down near Dundas or Queen. Uh, I'm usually in a set of fishnet stockings swinging a purse. It's a Hello Kitty purse because, you know, I like to appeal to all demographics. Uh, uh, I'm uh, often chewing gum, maybe smoking a cigarette, and uh, I'm in a very tight bustier, and I'm philosophizing for money. We'll go down deep <laughs> with you for, for Thank philosophy. You. Man, that's awesome. I appreciate your sense of humor, too, man. That's, that's great. Um, so, But do you have a question? So let's get back to that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, and it kind of dovetails, I think, with uh, what you are talking about earlier with uh, exploring the boundaries of competition with Isabella. Um, yeah. Because I guess, you know, and I don't want to take credit for this. I, I came across somebody else called Derek Jensen. I'm not a primitivist myself, but he, he kind of boiled his thought down to, okay, and this is what I'm asking. Do you think humans will undergo a voluntary change towards a rational, a rational, a rational and more sustainable way of living? Yeah, because if yeah, no, you I know, think, it's, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But first, they have to recognize okay. that is it is the state that drives overconsumption, not freedom. In a state of okay, I'm going to try and think of uh, how to organize my thoughts here. For once in my goddamn life, let me try to organize my thoughts before I. <laughs> so let me give me let me give you two minutes on it. Right. So when the government prints too much money, 
then it stimulates consumption in the here and now. And that's actually what it's supposed to do, right? When you, when you overprint money, more money goes into the system, and, and then inflation uh, hits too. And inflation drives people to spend money now rather than to save it, particularly when you keep interest rates down, right? So normally if you inflate a whole bunch of money, the interest rates go up. That doesn't work for governments because governments want free shit, right, to bribe idiots with. That's basically the whole <laughs> slogan of governments. Free shit for idiots. That's, uh, that's government yeah. in a nutshell. I'm just <laughs> waiting for someone to meme that and JPEG it. But anyway, um, so when <laughs> governments print a lot of money, normally interest rates would go up, which means they pay more on the national debt, which means they don't get free stuff. So they, they print a lot of money, and then they keep interest rates down, and then they use a whole bunch of bullshit numbers to hide the inflation that is inevitably resulting, right? So... And the whole purpose of, of Keynesian, the Keynesian approach to government is whenever there's a dip in consumer demand, the government should spend a whole bunch of money to raise demand. And anyone who's a Keynesian and an environmentalist is like a two-headed, bitch-slapped, contradictory brain, right? Because if you're a Keynesian, then the whole point is government's supposed to print money in a recession to stimulate demand. And stimulate demand means consume the Earth's precious, precious resources, right? So 10% of U.S. housing is currently completely unoccupied. What a rape of the Earth it was to produce all of those houses which nobody is living in. Right? That comes out of the results of, of government policy promoting home ownership and government policy subsidizing banks and government policy forcing banks to give loans to low-income people and government policy just printing a whole bunch of money which causes bubbles in a wide variety of places and so on. So, like... Whenever the government says we want to stimulate the economy, what they're saying is we want to artificially consume resources that nobody wants to consume, at least not consume. Like, they don't want it enough to actually spend their own money on it, right? It's like, well, we got a whole bunch of shovel-ready projects. We're going to build some bridges, and we're going to build some roads. And it's like, but nobody wants those. Otherwise, they'd be there already. And so you're just going to waste a whole bunch of resources and, and slaughter more of the earth, right? So government is crazy uh, at doing this stuff. Uh, government policies to support women when they make bad choices in in men, right? The whole welfare state, which is primarily a single mom payer state, right? What does that do? Well, it creates marriages sometimes. Uh, it certainly encourages the divorce. And anybody who's an environmentalist who does not focus on the necessity of keeping families together is not an environmentalist. Right? It's incredibly bad for the environment for families to split up. Can you tell me why? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Well, what about for uh, at what point is it a problem for families to exist? Period. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, like well, no, no. Example. On, wait, wait, wait. Just rat population studies. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um. But why is it like? Why is it bad for families to split up? Why is that bad for the environment? Uh, what? Oh, well, you're not using resources as efficiently. I mean, for one, you know, twice. Yeah, you need, basically you need what two houses, houses, right? You now need two houses because the family has split up, right? There's lots right. of extra driving. You need usually two sets of toys, which, you know, obviously strips China of a lot of its lead, <laughs> right? So, and, and you sort of go on and on, but it's incredibly environmentally destructive for families to split up, right? And sure, uh, so anybody who's not focusing on, on keeping families together is just not an environmentalist. And so, so printing money, government regulations to stimulate the economy, to, to force consumption, uh, tariffs and taxes which distort the resource use. All resources should be used based on demand, and all that demand should be limited by 
limited money, right? I mean, that's sort of the basic basic reality of it. And so uh, anytime you lend to a government, you are st- stimulating the destruction of the environment because money is being spent that is being borrowed, right? Borrowing is consuming the future for the sake of, it's destroying the future for the sake of the present. It's destroying your capacity to buy in the future based upon the present, right? So you sign up for a car loan, you're destroying your ability to pay three or hundred bucks a month or whatever it is in the future for four years or eight years or whatever in order to have a car in the here and now. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. But when government debt is a crater on the tits of nature, it is. It, it, it rapes nature horribly to, to have all of this stuff. Uh, common ownership also destroys preservability, right? I mean, you've seen these these streets where all of these houses are sort of kept nicely, and then there's this one house where nobody lives, and it's, you know, it's a boarded-up shit heap, right? And so whenever something is unowned, it tends to be uh, uh, either destructively unmaintained, right, which means eventually you just got to tear that house down and build a new one. It's much better for the environment to maintain a house than it is to tear it down and build a new one. So that which is unowned is unmaintained. These 10% of houses are just falling into shit, right? I mean, they're going to, half of them have to be torn down after a while. I mean, it's brutal. And uh, so that which is unowned is unmaintained, which is bad for the environment. And that which is unowned is preyed upon by everyone. So uh, if you're an environmentalist uh, and you're not really examining the role that the state plays in promoting environmental destruction, uh, I know that in the shift show with Rogan, they talked about uh, oil spills. Well, I mean, how many BP executives lost their homes and their fortunes because of the oil spill? Well, the answer to that would be precisely zero. How many bankers have gone to jail as a result of ripping people off, uh, the, the liars' loans, the um, robo-signing, the, all that, lies, uh, ripping people off, zero, right? And, and this all state-created. I mean, the people want these guys to hang, uh, to be hung, drawn, and quartered. The people want these guys to go to jail. The people as a whole are raging against the bankers and the predations on the body politic and the largely undereducated citizenry that they roped into these destructive loans. Uh, but but nobody's going to jail. I mean, you throw 2,500 people from the Wall Street moving into jail and zero bankers. And um, that's because the bankers pay the government and the government protects the bankers, right? So it's the same thing's true of executives. The government owns the land where people could be drilling for oil on the American soil, which is far safer for the environment than going a mile under the water. But that's not allowed. Uh, So that's not, uh, you know, you can't just buy the land and then go drill. And the government, of course, promotes massive oil consumption by building all these free roads, which has created a highly mobile and environmentally destructive society. And um, so, and, you, and, and the government also caps liabilities for corporations for environmental disasters, so it's never quite too expensive and so on. So I just wanted to sort of point out that the, the best way to preserve the environment is to privatize the living shit out of everything. If you privatize the living shit out of everything, people will spend a lot of money to buy stuff and they'll really work to maintain it. So I really, really wanted to um, point that out, that, uh, I, I mean, the only sensible environmentalists are the free market people. Um, that is what protects us from, the environment, from environmental degradation and destruction the most. Not to mention people who, you know, are anti-war, which, of course, a lot of people on the left are and environmentalists are as well. But war, of course, is one of the most things, the most destructive to the environment as a whole. I mean, more war, I'm sorry, more oil is used every day in Iraq alone than is used by the entire economy of India. And that's just for military shit, right? So, anyway. Yeah, no, that's, 
and I and I I can see that argument, you know, with the the whole government issue and the spending. I mean, that's something I. I I've really, I'm honestly new to, I mean, I'm college educated, but that didn't mean shit, you know, and, and this, it, it takes some time, like you said, and I, and you've got a lot of work out there. I still need to, to kind of go through, but I'm not a nihilist. I'm not a primitivist, but I just, man, in this, you know, what's going on, you know, in the world and in the state of affairs, it just seems like a valid question for a kid to ask, you know, kind of like, why, why even have me? What is it, at what point is it child abuse, you know, to even have a kid in, 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 in such shitty circumstances, you know what I mean? What is it? Does that line ever exist? I mean, uh, you seem like you're in a position where you can insulate yourself really well and that's great, you know, but for the average Joe, you know what I mean? It's, I might not ever have kids just because I know I'm I'm not I can't two hundred thousand per head just to get started I I don't see that realistically you know what I mean with what you, I just don't so no but your your kid might be the one who invents fusion in a jar your kid might save the environment of the planet right I mean you're going to bring your kid up to be a responsible worldwide citizen and and want to maintain resources for future generations so that kids is going to be smarter than you because you know generationally we just keep getting smarter it's going to be smarter than you it's going to be more clear in his mind about truth and and reason and virtue than you are because and than I was because you're all propagandized and you're going to be teaching them the right stuff and uh, this this could be the kid who saves the world And, you know, trust me, just because good people don't have kids, that doesn't stop idiots from breeding. And, you know, we will get swamped at some point. So um, I just wanted to to mention that that's not necessarily a great argument to to not have kids because there are bad people in the world. I think that's just kind of letting the bad people win, in my opinion. Great. Well, then I think it becomes an either-or question because if you're not – if overpopulation doesn't make any sense and overconsumption does have to at some point. So it seems like that, you know, has to be – you know, f- focused on to some degree and reconciled and, and abided by, you know, because we we do live under that dictatorship as some woman, you know, kind of brought up as a the one defense to the, the you know, n- uh, non-aggression policy is, you know, the, our land base is being destroyed. So if we don't have, you know, that to work with and kind of SOL, we don't have yeah, a place to invent the cold fusion. I want to read, sorry. I mean, it sounds like you've had a lot of doom porn from the environmental side. <laughs> Like it's, and then you've got to limit your exposure to that stuff. You know, there are, there are a lot of psychotics out there who used to tell, tell children about hell, and now they tell them about environmental destruction, right? So, so really be careful and be skeptical of all the doomsayers. Uh, and you, you might want to read a book called The Skeptical Environmentalist by Bjorn Lomborg, uh, where he talks about what is actually happening in the world. People scaring the shit out of you for money I mean, it's not just a carnival funhouse. Like, there is massive profit in terror. Terror is one of the world's great resources to be exploited. There is massive, massive profit in scaring the living shit out of people, whether it's through sure. uh, threats of war. What was it? Uh, we don't want the smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud, like like he was going to bomb Pittsburgh or something, Hussein. Right, so... Scaring the living shit out of people is a hugely profitable. I mean, you think gold is profitable, mining for... Anxiety is far more profitable than that. And so don't be an ownable resource. Do not surrender your terror to the fear merchants. doesn't mean we shouldn't have caution and concern about the world and all of that. But just read some stuff opposed to your viewpoint. I think that's really, really important. Read some of the stuff that's happening. If you're worried about overpopulation, again, the best cure for overpopulation is privatization. 
privatization increases wealth. When people have more wealth, they can better provide to their children. They have access to more health care for their children, which means they don't have to have as many children. And also, when children become more expensive, when you have a free market, then the necessity for human capital investments in your children goes up, right? They got to be better educated. They got to be more smart and so on. And when the cost of children goes up, lo and behold, laws of supply and demand, when the cost of children goes up because they need more education and better skill sets to compete in a free market than they do if they're just, you know, ho-hacking serfs. I mean, ho like the, anyway, you know. So when the price (laughs) of kids go up, lo and behold, the number of kids uh, that people have goes down. So, yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to uh, explore some private property arguments, and then actually uh, I had something stolen from me, and I had to, I got pissed. I had to go back to the drawing board, obviously, with that one. <laughs> you know, it, it makes sense and really brings that whole you know home with some stolen. But any, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, by the way, I meant to ask you, you you were going to mull something over on a past radio show. I forgot who it was about a guy who was going to jump off a, a ledge, and you you were supposed to keep your mittens off of him. I was I was wondering if you put oh, more yeah, thought no, into I that because I was. I think that's a yeah. Oh, you did. A okay. Shows back. Yeah, that's a couple right, shows back. Right. Just to recap okay. very briefly, right? So uh, this is Dr. Walter Block. So Walter Block was saying, if your child is is staggering towards the edge of a bridge, wanting to throw himself off, you have to stop the child, but you don't have to stop a stranger. My argument in the show was, if you're causal in your child wanting to throw them off of themselves off a bridge, then you have to stop them, right? And if you're a bad parent to the point where your kid wants to kill himself, well then, blah blah blah, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree so, with that. Yeah, so I came up with a better analogy, which is I don't have to stop a stranger from jumping off a cliff unless I just injected him with a drug that makes him disoriented. Like if he's staggering towards a cliff because I injected him, then I have to stop him because I'm causal in him falling off the bridge. Right, so if it's just some stranger, but kids are never just some stranger because you're the parent, you've raised them. So if your kid's suicidal, you have to stop them because you're causal in the same way or you're responsible for their death. I'm not responsible for the death of some guy I'm driving past who jumps off a bridge. But if I inject a guy with some disorienting drug and then he falls off a cliff as a result of being confused and dizzy, then I'm responsible for his death, right? So I have to stop him because I'm causal in starting and, and starting that whole process. It's the same thing with parenting. So again, it's a universal thing, and it doesn't mean that I have lower responsibilities but rather higher responsibilities. So I don't think that uh, Dr. Block's argument held, but uh, that's uh, just a, uh, a mention. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, because you you create a child, they don't have full brain development, and you know you're kind of thrown to the wolves. You're responsible for them in a way, and that's it wasn't apples to apples compared with some guy off the streets, random stranger. You're just supposed to you know save or not save. I thought I thought it was it wasn't apples to apples, but appreciated the dialogue definitely. All right. Oh no problem. Thank I you. I think that was it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Call in again. Anytime. Have a great. Thank you so much for listening. Man, have a great day. Congratulations on that whole cancer thing. You just seem to like just high step that and uh, shake it off like nothing. I, your daughter's gonna thank you so much one day for creating all this content. If something does happen in the future, and even if well, it doesn't, thanks, she I still think, will. I mean, the cancer thing was partly luck, but it's also partly like, I mean, aside from getting cancer, uh, I lived a um, uh, a very healthy life. I mean, exercise, uh, eat well, maintain my weight. I weigh still pretty much the same as I did in high school. So I think one of the reasons why I could kick cancer's ass pretty well was because I had a very healthy base to start from. Uh, so, yeah, but I appreciate that. It's uh, sure. good, good to have that fucker in the rear view, I'll tell you that. So, Yeah. Thanks definitely. so much for your call and uh, appreciate it. Let's um, move on to the next. All right. Uh, next up is the last in the list, unless you want to take any uh, other 
<clears throat> Other calls from the chat? Uh, we may go for a shockingly show, uh, slow, uh, short. <laughs> short show. <laughs> it's an S word, I, I promise. Um, but uh, oh, Slippery. Who's up last? Justin? Uh, yes, Justin's, Justin's up next. Justin, I just did a video about you. Let's do a duet. Anyway. You did? What's on your mind? <laughs> no, I just did a Justin Bieber video. But... Oh, yeah. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm much older than Bieber. I have less, far less hair than he does. <laughs> your voice is broken. Right. Yeah, and my voice is broken. <laughs> Can you, can you hear me okay? I can. What's on your mind? Okay. So um, I, 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 I've emailed you a little bit before. I'm the guy that's moving out to Montana in, in May to be with the girlfriend of eight years. And um, I found that the, the exercise and, and picking up life and, and making that move has, is causing an extraordinary amount of anxiety and ambivalence that I'm having difficulty understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, and, this, and this is even on top of listening to FDR for the past two, three years and, and following along as best I can. And it, moving, even just talking about it, I'm starting to get <laughs> agitated. Um. Oh, it's no problem for me. You can be agitated. That's that's certainly fine right. with me. But uh, yeah, go on. So I, I guess my question is, I, I had this habit of. I mean, the question is, how, how do I know if this is one of those instances where I'm not listening to myself? Like, why why does the why does the fear and ambivalence exist? What is it trying to tell me? That's that's well, what what's, I'm having. What's the disaster scenario? Uh... Honestly, it's not horrible. It's, I mean, the disaster scenario is we, I go out there and it takes me forever to find a job and, um, and we don't get out on our own for in a reasonable amount of time. Reasonable amount of time is maybe like two years, something like that. Because we'll be, we'll be, we'll be staying um, at her parents' bed and breakfast, like the suite downstairs. So it's not like we're going to be living on the street, you know, hunting down dogs and cats and, and whatnot. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the best case scenario is something I'm doing the best towards working working at, and I'm doing I'm I'm still pushing through it. I'm reading books to, you know, about how to how to provide more value to you know to an employer and and whatnot. And she's going back to school to be a surgical tech, so which is something she's always wanted to do. Right. So I mean, I'm actually okay. doing things to push through the, you know, the fear and the anxiety. But it it just normally when I make a decision about something and the decision's made, ambivalence just disappears and I move forward. And I but it's, it's not happening this time around. And I'm wondering if it's just because it's just such a big decision. No, I don't. I mean, I I wouldn't guess that. I would trust your instincts, right? I, I, at least I found talking myself out of my instincts is really a good idea. So, right, yeah, right. Oh, I'm overreacting. Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm really not. <laughs> right. right, and that's what that's that's where I'm. That's that's like that. I guess that's the biggest hitch. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I've said to myself, and she's you know she's heard me say to myself, oh, I should I should have listened to myself. Why well, don't I ever listen to myself? <laughs> And, yeah. and I'm like, okay. is so that let, let me Let me ask you some questions yeah, then. Which, sorry to interrupt please. you. May, let me ask yeah. you some questions uh, that may help clarify things. Yep. Uh, how do you get along with her parents? Uh, fine. I We have uh, conversations both on the small stuff and the deep stuff. Um, 
I don't feel un- uncomfortable around them or anything like that. How does she get along with her parents? Uh, pretty much the same. I mean, they have conversations. Uh, she likes being around them. Um, you know, I've, I've watched them interact plenty of times and I don't detect or observe any kind of, uh, weird, discomforting behavior between them. Good. Okay. So no history of spanking or things that need no, to be resolved. Not, not that I'm aware of. No. And we've, we've talked about wait, her wait, history. Wait, what do you mean? Not, not that you're aware of. Well, not, not, not that we've. It's not that it we've... sounds like you're on the stand and I'm asking you to incriminate. I plead the fifth. Oh, sorry. And there's right. lots of ways I, people plead the fifth in conversations. That's one of them. Go ahead. Not, not that we've uh, pulled out of discussions we had about her history and my history and about with, with, uh, with her, with my parents. She doesn't seem to have, um, anything in her history like as far as spanking goes or anything like that 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 she could remember you know we've we've talked about it quite a bit so that's that's, i'll accept that i mean i don't tell people they're wrong but then they tell me what's going on okay so uh, so there's not going to be an issue like a lot of times if if people don't have ideal relationships with their parents then if they because you move moving back in under the same roof right i mean you can live in the b&b right Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if if she can't be herself around her parents, then you're going to lose your girlfriend by moving back into the house with them. But that doesn't sound like it's the case. And I'm not going to obviously tell you that you're wrong. So I'll accept okay. that for what it is. So um, how long have you been going out? Oh, we've been together seven, eight years. And are you married? No. Why not? Um, She... <sighs> I kind of had a big stick up my ass back in the day about marriage in the sense that it was like, oh, marriage with the state contract and blah, 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 blah. I'm much more chill about things now than I used to be. Um, but within our first two years of being together, uh, together, she wanted to get married. But she she didn't say anything at the time. You know that you have completely not answered my question, right? I'm well, sorry. years ago I was against marriage. I'm so and sorry. She wanted to get married, right? So you, Reset. none of those conditions apply now, right? So why Reset. aren't you married? Um, you know, I, the only reason right now is because we're you know I'm in Pennsylvania, she's in Montana. Once we move out there, I I've had considered can talking to her about getting married. So um, we we will probably I'll probably go ahead and and do that. Because to me, I'm committed to her in a way that that I wasn't before. You're together forever, right? Like you, you till you, till death do you part. That's what it feels that like. Yeah, that's okay. what it feels like. Yeah. Well, then uh, I would make that. Uh... Again, I don't. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the state. Who cares, right? You know, yeah, the, the state yeah. standard way of of uh, an ancient tradition that has developed in the species for damn good reasons. You're right. Uh, so, um, uh, and do you want kids? No. And does she want kids? She does not either. No, we've, we've talked about that extensively. And why don't you want kids? Not that you um, should. I'm just curious. Right, why. Yeah, it was um, nothing that ever interests either one of us. It, it wasn't anything, a big conversation. They were just like, oh, we just don't want kids. And we wonder why. Just, it just the interest isn't there to, to have children. Yeah, that's just synonyms for I don't want kids. You're right. Want yeah, kids I, I just don't want kids. Yeah, but I'm just curious. I mean, why? Is it the time commitment? Is it the energy level? Is it the cost? Is it the, you just it, don't like children? Yeah, it, or? It's the time commitment um, involved, the energy, the resources involved. And and I don't think I would – and if I were to look back and speaking right now, I don't think I'm – I don't quite think I'm fatherly material yet. And why are you not fatherly material? Um, 
because of my own familial history, and I still think I feel I have a lot of work to do before I uh, would take on the responsibility of a child if I were to do that. Yeah, again, you are an absolute master of not answering questions. I'm so sorry. <laughs> why, why are you Thank not you father for material? That out. Because of my family history. Right, uh, right. That does not help me because I have work to do. But on what? <laughs> What? Right, I feel like right. I'm going to have to get like a, 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 a chair, uh, some rubber hose, and a swinging light bulb, and perhaps a German in gold rim spectacles I, I'm, to I'm get answers out of I'm giving you conclusions, expecting you to know what those... What, no, you're not even giving me conclusions. Yeah, you're I'm giving sure. me synonyms. Right. Why don't you want to have children? Because of my family history and the work that I have to do. What? Right, right, that right. doesn't right. tell me anything. <laughs> right? I don't. Why do you not want to drive a car? Because I don't like driving cars. Well, thank you for adding to the conversation. I'm just pointing this out, right? Right, right. What uh, are the issues that you feel would make you not a good father at the moment? I've had, at at the moment, uh, I've had a history of being uh, impatient and somewhat sadistic around people that get close to me. And I would not trust myself to be a father. To, uh, All right. You know, you just dropped a huge bomb in the conversation, right? Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> Are you aware of that? Yeah, I am. And that's why you weren't giving me answers before, right? Yes. Right. Right. All right. Because I'm still sadistic. not... Um, I feel Are you I've, sadistic I've... to your girlfriend? No. Of course you are, because you just said to people who are close to you, right? I, I used to be, yeah, but I, part of this, this is one of the things I, have, I worked through a lot when I started getting involved in FDR and a lot of uh, other, uh, you know, inner self-reflection was getting past that. I was just angry, a very, very angry person, and that spilled out into the personal relationships. And why, if your girlfriend had a happy childhood, would she want to be with an angry sadist? I'm not saying that's all you were, but those characteristics were there, right, right. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like all encompassing. It's just when I got angry and frustrated about whatever it was, uh, it was it was never directed at her, and she would all and she would usually pull herself away from the situation until I calmed down. But that's that's a good question. Why why she would not call me out on the it or, the, the original Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> It's beginning to unravel a little bit. And I'm not pulling at it. I'm not, I didn't, right? Right. right. Why would a woman who's got deep, happy, positive relationships with lovely, peaceful parents, why would she want to be around a guy who, I mean, do you just have a giant penis? I mean, why, no. why would she want to be around a guy who has sadistic rage outbursts from time to time? Yeah. I need, and I and I I've I've been told this repeatedly about people that know me that I'm all when I when I describe the way I used to be. To others who just don't have any idea, have any history with me, I'm not always answering the question. Not I'm sorry. Answering the question. Why <laughs> would she? I appreciate the description that other people may have had about you in the past, right? But right. you're not answering the question. Why and now, would listen, you don't have to answer any questions on this show. You can tell me to take a long walk off a short pier and hang up, which is certainly right. your choice, right? But right. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the questions until you hang up or answer them. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> because I am a bloodhound to try and figure these things out. I'm always intensely curious about what makes people tick. Noted. Why would your girlfriend be with someone who had sadistic rage outbursts? I don't know. Right. That lack of knowledge is probably what is making you anxious about moving in with her family. 
Okay. Right. Fair point. Does that make any sense? It does make sense, yes. Okay, tell me what makes sense for you. Uh, Please. I guess I, I would... Hmm. I may need more time to write on that one. No problem. I will keep asking questions. Is she yes, physically they, attractive? Yes. Yes. So she had choices, at least in the, the first first impressions dating pool, right? Um, I, I think, I mean, she was overweight when she was younger, but not when she was in college. Uh, I wouldn't say right. she had a line of suitors. But, I mean, we're both average looking people. We're not ugly, but we're not like hyper attractive or anything like that. But she's attractive. You sit? She's attractive to me. Yeah, but one to ten, where do you guys sit? Physical. Um, I'd say she's about a six or seven, and you know, I'm right around the same range. Okay, so uh, she obviously, I mean, she doesn't have like two heads or something, which would no, limit your dating no. pool to, I guess, some Eastern European Correct. kink fetishists. But so, so she had choices, and she could have chosen to date a guy. Mm-hmm. who didn't have sadistic rage outbursts, right? Right. Now, what in her history made that acceptable enough that she would stay in a relationship with someone like that? From what I know in her family history, there was neither of her parents had a temper, but... It's hard to explain in a way. She doesn't recall any sort of yelling or hitting or, or anything like that, but she was always very, very quiet, and she would be willing. That She's a, she's a middle child, and she would often be willing to kind of take the, the brunt or the blame if one of the parents did get angry about something. Well, but That's you some... said they never raise their voices and they don't have tempers, right? Right, yeah. I, I wouldn't call them angry people. They're very quiet and they're very calm. But uh, I th- I think back in the day when they were younger, her mother especially may have – yeah, so I'm going to countermand my statement because my previous statement's wrong now that I'm remembering the conversations we've had. Her, her mother did yell. I don't know if it was at them, but I know she would get angry. So and, she would get angry at them? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, look, sure. All, all parents get angry at their children. I get right. angry at Isabella occasionally, right. and Isabella gets angry at me. I get angry at my wife. She gets angry at me. I occasionally will get angry at callers, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> Are you angry right now? No, no, okay. I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm, I'm glad that we're having this difficulty communicating because that means we're breaking new ground, right? Yes. Like, yeah. how do you know you're getting closer to the North Pole is there's a grating sound on the <laughs> hull of your ship, right? Right. So, so no, I, I'm, I'm entirely pleased that the conversation is taking this turn. And you understand, I'm certainly not trying to catch you out on anything, but what I am trying to do is to give you the questions to ask about your own history mm-hmm. that will lead you to the kind of knowledge that will give you security, right? Insecurity, to my mind, insecurity usually has to do with a discrepancy between unconscious knowledge and conscious knowledge. Does that make any sense? It does, yes. Right? And so when you, you gave me your conscious statements 
And then I asked more questions and the answers are more complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Now, your unconscious fully accepts that complication and is processing that emotionally. But if there's not a confluence between your unconscious knowledge and your conscious knowledge, the result is anxiety because you're at risk. Okay. Right, like if you're walking in the in the in the bush in Africa, and you 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 out of the corner of your eye, you think you may see a lion, and then you you think, oh, it's nothing, right? Right. And you just keep walking. You're going to feel anxious, right? Because your mm -hmm. unconscious is like, you know, I, I really think we saw a lion there, and your conscious mind, ah, it's nothing, right? I'm pretty sure I saw teeth and fangs. <laughs> yeah. Or even if it was just something that might be a lion, like, right. Get someplace safe. Don't take the risk, right? Right. Right. And a lot of manipulation and exploitation has to do with altering conscious knowledge. Unconscious knowledge is, can be accepted or rejected, but it can't fundamentally be altered. But um, So to me, anxiety is the discrepancy between unconscious knowledge and conscious knowledge. Unconscious knowledge cannot be changed. I mean, with the caveat that if you listen to it, it may be enriched or deepened or widened, but it mm -hmm. can't fundamentally be changed. Like if you okay. if you had a parent who beats you, you can say to yourself, "Well, you know, bloody blah, blah, she had a tough childhood, uh, and uh, it's Mother's Day, and right." But unconsciously, you can't change the experience of having been beaten and the trauma and fear and anger that that provokes. Understood. Yeah. Right. Right. You don't have the power to change history, and the unconscious is the true accumulation of your history. You, you can, can make no up whatever more. story you want about it, but you can't change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If some guy stabs you, your body wears the scar. Right, right. right. Your body knows that it was an injury and wears the scar forever. Now, you can say, I was never stabbed, but the body still has the wound, right? You can't change that. Of course, yeah. So the questions that I'm asking have to do with your conscious mind wants to portray to you and to me and to this audience a particular thing which may have to do with vanity. Vanity is always a lack of complexity and ambivalence, but that's mm -hmm. right. She's perfect, right? <laughs> My right. life is great. You know, I don't have a problem in the world. You know, everything is great, right? That's all nonsense, right? If you don't have a problem in the world, then you're a narcissist because well, I got plenty of those problems, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got those. So, so then to go back, you think it's possible that. Or I think you said that with conversations with your girlfriend that her mother was more verbally aggressive in the past. I, th I think so. Yeah, if I'm if I remember correctly, and I will I'll, I'll ask her again. But I, I'm pretty sure that her her mother was. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have called from her description. I wouldn't call her mother an angry person, but I she, I think she quickly got impatient, and that impatience came out as anger and. But I don't know if it was direct, directed at the children in a, in a way that was overly yeah, aggressive. This, or, yeah, I don't, the I don't know. Time. Sorry, that's the second time that you've used that, which is you said earlier my sadistic rage or outburst was not directed at my girlfriend. I, okay. And I'm telling you, at least in, in my opinion, I don't see how that really matters. Like being around somebody who is having a sadistic rage outburst mm -hmm. is scary. Right, so well, this, I... this idea that, that 
this idea, like if if some blindfolded guy is shooting off bullets in a room, right? And he says, "Well, I wasn't aiming at you." Does that you know? Do you feel better? <laughs> not, not really. Fuck no. <laughs> Fuck no. Something ricochets or he hits you by accident. So the fact that he's not pointing the gun at you doesn't make it a relaxing and calm experience. I think that you use that as a way of saying my rage or my anger did less harm to other people because it wasn't directed at them. And it's also a way of shutting down their criticism of you for having those outbursts because you can say, well, it wasn't directed at you. Right. And what you've described in terms of her mother, to me at least, doesn't contain anything like sadism. Yeah, impatience and, and getting upset right. or getting angry right. and so on, right? So it doesn't right. explain why the sadistic aspect would be... Well, why she would tolerate the... Why she would have... It doesn't explain why she would have tolerated the way I once behaved, is was what you're saying, right? Well, not just tolerate it, but pursued, kissed, cuddled, slept with, right. loved, okay. embraced... Stayed right. with, right? It's not just. Put, I mean, I can put up with some crazy guy on the bus. That doesn't mean I ask him to move in. <laughs> so, if I can, I ask you something. When I when I described it as sadistic rage, what kind of picture did that paint for you about me? Well, I I don't know. I mean, because I I know that those are just words, right? So I don't. Right. But, but I'm just going with the words that you're using right now. Either right. you're incorrect about the sadism, in which case you have a problem with self-criticism that's pretty big, right? Or I do. you're correct, in which case, right? Yeah. Okay, so maybe sadistic is, is too strong or, or anything like that, right? Whenever I describe whenever I describe how I used to be, it other people who've experienced it, they're like, you weren't as bad as it feels to you inside because I'm really not an angry, aggressive person, and I don't like other people that are. Uh, but to me, the way I was behaving relative to how I am now and relative to the behavior that you um, that uh, you put forth as virtuous on FTR and, there, and this other relationship I've seen, it makes – relative to all that, I felt like a monster. Okay. You know? All right. So – that's, that's now, so when I say it, I, I let's that's say, sorry, let's that interrupt. So let's say, let's say that you're correct that the word sadism that you're using with me is a self attack and that you weren't sadistic. Okay. Your girlfriend is putting up with you describing yourself as a sadist to the point where seven or eight years after you started dating, you're still using the term. You see, there is sadly no escape <laughs> from the dysfunction, uh, right? Right. If you say, well, I wasn't sadistic, then you've been with a woman for seven to eight years. And you're still describing yourself as sadistic when it was incorrect, which means that she has not helped you work through the self-attack, right? Right, right. She, she's corrected me. She's tried to correct me. She's like, it really wasn't – I wouldn't call you abusive or, or sadistic or – she's like, you're, you really are very hard on yourself and you, you need to stop that. She has told me several yeah, – I mean, thought, so what? That's just – that's like telling right. somebody who's overweight to eat less food. I mean, right, it doesn't help anything, right? right. right? I mean, you, you got to get to the root of the issue in some – manner right is she there 
No, no, she's in. Oh, she's in Montana, right? She's in Montana. No, no, but you know, if she wants to call in or whatever, it would be interesting to obviously see things from her point of view and you theorizing about her childhood or her relationship with her mom or what her mom was like before you knew her. I mean, obviously, is 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 somewhat of a guessing game, but we do know, we know, we know two things for sure, right? So right. number one, you were much more aggressive when you met. Is much more too strong or just more? Um, I was more aggressive and insecure when we met. Yes, I was aggressive because I was insecure. Okay, so she is is she passionately pursues somebody who has the characteristics of insecurity and aggression. Not mm-hmm. only is that good enough for her, that's the best she can do. Whoever mm-hmm. we're with is the best that we can do. Whatever job we have is the best job that we can have. However much money we have is the most money we think we can have. Right? Because if something was better, right? If somebody said to you, listen, um, I'm going to double your pay for doing exactly the same thing, what would you say? <laughs> Yay. Hell to the yes, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so whatever you have is the best that you think you can get. Right. And so you were the best that she thought she could get. Mm. And I'm not saying that she's wrong. I mean, maybe you are a great guy. I mean, I I have no reason, right? Maybe. But so we know that the best that she felt that she could get was you, who may be a great guy, I'm sure is, with these characteristics of insecurity and aggression, right? Right, right. I follow you. Okay. That's who she chose to be with and has chosen to stay with right okay yep right although admittedly in a different state Uh, right and have you guys lived together before uh we haven't no no i we were talking about it um but wait so sorry to interrupt is is my understanding then that your first time living together is going to be with her parents yeah yeah. Ooh, yeah. Bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think. Uh, I'd feel more comfortable. If I she think I can understand here. a little bit more of the anxiety. I think those other prior questions are useful and helpful, but I think I can get a little bit more right. of the anxiety now, right? Right. I'd feel more comfortable if she were to come back here and move into to my place. Uh, that way, it'd just be her and I, and we can, you know, it'd be our space, you know, our time, everything. Yeah. Listen, I don't know. I mean, that's. That doesn't seem very healthy to me, no matter what the parents are. They could be the best parents in the world. It just seems like if you're going to be living together for the first time, why would you want to go and move? I mean, because, you know, let's say you get married, so she's going to be a a bride and and, and a a wife and all that. So she's kind of moving forward in her life. At the same time, she's going to move back in with her parents, which is kind of like childhood, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I feel uncomfortable with the whole parent parental thing. I mean, it's like we're thirty; she's thirty three, I'm thirty four, and it just doesn't sit well so with me. To, for- to, so tell her, let's not do that. Right. Yeah. You know, like let's not move on with our lives, and let's not jeopardize us living together with the complexity of you moving back in with your parents. Which again, let's just say they're great parents. It's still right. kind of going into the into separate separate. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. you're going in opposite directions in terms of moving forward and there being kind of a retroactive or retrograde aspect Understood. of things. Right, yeah. But I certainly you need to, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, I really think it's important to ask these questions 
and to figure out why she was attracted to you. And that doesn't mean she shouldn't be attracted to you. I understand. Right. I'm not right. Understanding the cause of something does not nullify the effects. Like knowing what gravity is doesn't give you the power to fly. It just gives you the power to get to Jupiter if you want, right? Yeah. So knowing why she was attracted to you and why she accepted and it's more than accepted why she praised your behavior with her presence. This is really, really important to understand. Okay. Yeah. Right. Why it. she praised your behavior with her presence. Everything which we continually expose ourselves to, particularly in the realm of love and romance, mm -hmm. is what we praise, right? Okay, I got it. Because she wasn't just putting up with you like you were some noisy guy in a class <laughs> she had. Right, right. She is forsaking all others. She is with you. She is loving you. She, right? I mean, so she is giving you the highest gift of herself at the same time as you have this history. She's not helped you get to the root of it to the point where you either were sadistic or you're calling yourself sadistic now when you weren't in the past. Right. So these questions need to be asked and answered no matter what. The absence of knowing the real answers to all these questions about what it was in her childhood that made your behavior something she was willing to worship, you need that answer no matter what. Certainly, if you end up moving in with her parents, you really need that answer, right? Because uh, if there's yeah, stuff in her history right. that led her to be susceptible to some of your less productive or less functional aspects, and you don't know that, that's going to, uh, right? Right, yeah. And, she, and we, we've had we've talked about it, man, at length for hours. And she's like, look, if, if it takes my coming back, um, then, you know, to move into your place, you know, I'm back here to PA. She's like, then that's, then that's what it would take. Yeah. No, so it's, yeah, she's willing to do and that. How long? I mean, I know you guys have been long distance. Has it been your whole relationship? You've been long distance. Sorry. If you oh no, no, no. She um, just to to give you the brief timeline of that. You know, she, we kind of grew up in the same town and and whatnot. So she moved last June uh, out to Montana. So you knew her parents when you were younger. Uh, yeah, I've known them for quite a while. Yeah. And I've had okay. many, many discussions with them about all kinds of topics you know shallow and deep right. as pe as people i i really truly get along with them just fine and i i've admired what they've done with for the with for their lives i mean her father is an entrepreneur and they plan for themselves very well and but like, like you said there are questions there and there's anxiety there and, and and trying to fight against it like push forward out to montana anyways is seemingly no no, no don't do that no i mean yeah. you will always end up being right and just right. don't be right and surprised at the same exactly. time. Yeah. Self-knowledge means you'll be right without being surprised. Right. But right. a lack of self-knowledge means you'll be right and heartbreaking, right? You have a massive amount invested into this relationship. I do. Moving in, for the first time you live together, moving in with her parents does not seem to me particularly wise. Nor I. And I can't, I can't give you some syllogistical argument that proves that. Right. I'm just telling you my gut. I could probably figure it out. I mean, I know I could if somebody had time. So don't take any of this as... I'm right. I've just, part of me goes like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> right. not a good idea. I mean, listen, seriously, don't you want to have loud sex? Uh, um, yeah, we, pr we probably would anyhow. <laughs> yeah, too no, loud. Come but... on. I mean, you, you don't, I mean, la loud sex with their parents in the house. We're, I mean, we're kind of, yeah, we're kind of quiet. Right? Well, I mean, we have sex anyhow. We're not like horribly loud. I'm, I'm just not a loud, sexy person. I'm not saying you've got to do a Ricola commercial and yodel right. the roof house off. I'm just saying that, right. you know, like, 
come down for breakfast in your underpants, you know, like, I mean, Oh no, just... no, I hear you. Yeah. Well, I'm on the same page. I mean, I, it's, I, my, my, my preference I, I, I said to her is, is to, for her to come back here and stay here. And then we reestablish ourselves. It's just, just us. What if you, uh, what if you just want to make out while you're watching TV, you know, I mean, you're a little <laughs> uncomfortable with old dad sitting there in his dressing gown, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm just saying that you may, um, you, you're going to be losing a whole lot. And, and there is going to be a regressive element to moving in with parents. And again, this has nothing to do with the quality of parenting. It's just like, I, you know, if, if Isabella's moving in with me, when I'm 30, A, I'm happy because I've lived that long, and B, uh, I would just say I think that's not a good idea. Right. Because right. I don't want to hear her and her boyfriend making out or bo- husband or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, call me a Victorian. I'm not no, British about fine. sexual yeah, matters, yeah. but, uh, you know, what if you just want to shag on the kitchen table, you know? Sometimes yeah. that can be tough when you're, you know— when your your mother in law is having a tea party, sometimes that can pause. That can create some awkward pauses in the conversation. Sure. Yeah. 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 I'll have to sit down later today and have a, another conversation with her about it. Yeah, I I would suggest and and you know really trust your instincts, and and give this relationship the best chance it can possibly have. That that's what I'm do- that's what I'm trying to do, and we both agreed. Like, because I, I said to her, you know, honestly, <laughs> parental stuff aside, you know, it does not matter where we live. It's about you, you and I being together, you know, moving forward together and and committing to one another in a way that we hadn't before, you know. Yeah, and listen, I mean, to to be to to give you fair warning, you're in your sort of early thirties. So if it doesn't work out with this woman, you're then going to have to find a woman in her 30s who doesn't have kids and doesn't want kids. Mm-hmm. Not easy. So really, you know, if you found someone, you neither of you want kids, fantastic. And uh, you give it the best possible chance. I mean, I, say, I think this is true with all relationships. You've got right, a, a right. parent you think is a jerk. Give, give the relationship the best possible chance. Really talk right. uh, uh, to them and, and all that and try and figure, sort it out. But, um, yeah, I think that would be my, my strong suggestion is, you know, find some other way to, to have you guys live together. I mean, marry the girl, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, <laughs> just do it. I mean, in my opinion, right? I, I Don't can't be tell a you what to do. But, you know, come on. It's been seven or eight years, you know, <laughs> make an honest right. woman out yeah. of her. And, uh, and, and I don't uh, care. I don't care if you never tell the government. Right. I, I mean, first of all, you're going to be common law anyway. So people say, oh, you involve the government. Look, the government gets involved no matter what. I right. mean, they move yeah. in after a year or two, no matter what. Right. So, so That's true. Um, I don't yeah. care if you never get a license. I mean, what do I, I mean? Licenses don't make a marriage. But, you know, say I want to marry you, uh, whether you get legally married or not, doesn't matter. Just say it's just marry means I'm going to stay with you forever. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm taking out my Wolfgang puck eyeballs of booty scanning, and I'm gonna. You know, you're now it for me, forever. Uh, there's a security and confidence in all of that that can really help you lower your standards of personal hygiene. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but you know, say to her, look, I mean, it's been seven or eight years. If you haven't figured out now whether you're gonna be with her forever, uh, you, you know, then that's important right. to know as well. But just. Uh, Make an honest woman of her, uh, or maybe she'll make an honest man of you. You know, she'll be yeah. one of the three people who proposed to a man this year. Uh, uh, and, but anyway, but um, sorry, three women. I'm sure lots of men propose to each other. Uh, yeah, right. It becomes legal. Yeah, and it's definitely but, the, um, the, the thought of 
losing what we've built so far, especially in the last two or three years. Because when I first started listening to FDR and I began applying a lot of it, what I was learning to my life and my behavior began to change. She, I mean, she was the first to notice and she's like, what's, you know, you've been talking about this stuff. And she started listening to it herself and, you know, it's helped her a lot too. She and I share a real, a very, very solid philosophical understanding and solidarity. And that's, I, that's like worth its weight in, in gold or platinum or whatever. It's very valuable to me. Great. Yeah. Then hang on to her, uh, you know, commit to her and uh, give your relationship the best chance, which in my gut instinct is to not move in with her parents, particularly if they're unknown variables to do with her childhood. So that's right, right. And that's is, really is, all I've got to say on the matter. But sorry, go ahead. Is, is your is your gut instinct uh, b- because of the unknown variables? Is that why you think it's 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 you're feeling that? Well, it's unknown variables, and when you first move in together, it's a delightful experience, and right. have that delightful experience in private. Okay, yeah. You know, like if, if you were saying, well, I'm going to get married and then move in to a frat house, I'd say, <laughs> no, that's not a very good idea, right? Got it. And moving in with her mom and dad... Hmm, no, that's, I mean, that's, it's less compatible to adulthood and maturity than, and and also the fact that, is this okay with her parents? The fact that they're like, yeah, come live together with us tells me something about their judgment as well. Like, well, to to them, it's an agreement that it's, it's temporary. And they, they said, you know, we had, you know, it was hard for us to get established out there, even with the money that they had, because it just, you know, it takes work when you move a new, a new space. I understand. understand. If you guys need a base to stay, to stay, to get started, then that's, you can stay here, but. Because they have nice, plans. But it's not, uh, again, I'm sure it's, it comes from a good place and it's nice-hearted and all that, but right, without right, right, even right. talking about the, but, you know, I can see some downsides to that, you know, having a frank discussion. For them to say that, I think, would be important, right? Okay. It's a nice offer. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's this generous yeah, it offer and so on. But saying, but listen, this is you're going to be your first time living together and this and that and the other, right? You right. know, plus, I got to tell you, if some guy's dating my daughter for a long time and hasn't proposed, I'm having talk with the guy. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. Right? I mean, come on. I mean, what, what, do you I think she's going to change in some fundamental way? I mean, are you waiting for her to grow a third boob out of her ass? I mean, well, come on. I mean, if she's good for you, then she's good for you. And if she's not good for you, then let her find someone who is. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. For the You're chat very and the questions, thank you very much. Yeah, and I certainly, uh, you know, I certainly want uh, the very best for uh, for you both, and uh, I hope that this uh, call helps at least give you some productive avenues uh, of conversation. It, it has. I'm going to ask her if um, if it's okay with you and her, if maybe we can call in as like a team sometime and have a chat over the, the airwaves. Yeah, just uh, give a chat to um, to Mike. Send yeah. a ping off to Mike, and uh, he'll he'll work on it. So uh, okay. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you, uh, everyone. Thanks, James, so much for um, uh, taking a break from your uh, Sunday morning belly dancing classes to do the show. Uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, Mike will be back next week. FDRURL.com forward slash donate. If you would like to help out the show, uh, mostly, macholy, wonderfully appreciated. Macholy, you know, I was just thinking, was I tell you something weird about post-chemo? So my hair is growing back. It's grown all back. But my body hair is back kind of different. So before I was kind of like this 
British beluga, and now I'm like this Italian brick worker. I don't know. <laughs> it's just all kinds of strange. Anyway, I will end the show on an overshare. Have yourself a wonderful week. I'll talk to you Wednesday night. All the very best from me and all of us here at Free Domain Radio.